Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. I'm Jay Sticky. And today we are going to talk about a whole bunch of reproduction things, I guess, starting off with our uh, less wrong posts about the reproduction of species and... You know what? I'm not going to try to summarize it. Let's just get into it. You know, it's funny because when you say reproduction things, it sounds like one fun kind of topic, and this is more intellectual than yes. than fun. Don't worry. There will not be a lot of boning talk, unfortunately. Alas. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we've got two less wrong posts. The first one was the tragedy of group selection. Ism. Selectionism. Selectionism. Yeah. Close enough. Which begins with uh, pre-modern biologists believed predators would voluntarily restrain their breeding to avoid overpopulating their habitat and exhausting the prey population. Here, Idiosh giggling as I'm reading this. I, so the pre-modern biologists is a note that I put in there. It was a, a number of biologists were listed and uh, <laughs> usually pre-modern means like, you know, much longer back than, than the 60s that we're talking about. So Well, unless you're talking about like modernism and art, but okay, in architecture. Yeah, but like, usually pre-modern means like pre-electric <laughs> and i don't think there were any biologists pre-electricity well there were certainly naturalists yes but anyway yes. so they thought this thing darwin didn't have electricity in his house um was he a biologist though he was a naturalist i uh, uh, well i'm not a definition in person just this well, doesn't let's push matter. past it <laughs> okay <laughs> all right uh no outside evolution fairy decides when a gene ought to be promoted the gene's effect must somehow directly cause the gene to be more prevalent in the next generation which is a key insight that, I don't know, I think is pretty much home, like really carved into me now. But something that I I remember took a little bit of, of getting to really feel, get the feeling of it, even though I knew it intellectually, right? Yeah. We talked about the selfish gene last episode. Um, we talk about it a bit. I don't know if we need to get super into it again, but let's get a little bit into it because it's a good book. I was going to just mention that we talked about it and then just give an example oh. of like... That was also in this post of the the rattlesnakes rattle. You know, it's not there to scare us away. Well, it is, but it's not there for us. Mm -hmm. It's there for the rattlesnake. But that almost sounds like the same sentence. And so it's that kind of, like you said, you almost got it like intellectually, but it takes a minute to kind of like line those pieces up. Yeah. I think that just, that helps illustrate the distinction. Like it almost seems, you know, reasonable to think, well, if, if you're going to cause a population crash, if you eat all your prey animals, then evolution should make you restrain your breeding, right? So that that doesn't happen. It would be advantageous. <laughs> if evolution were some sentient being or right, like anything that, you know, cared about the creatures that it creates, controls. Shapes. Yeah. yeah. But no, uh, obviously selection on the level of the individual won't produce individual restraint in breeding. Individuals who reproduce unrestrainedly will naturally produce more offspring than individuals who restrain themselves. Right. So any any gene for restraining breeding will get outcompeted and weeded out of the population. Except for weird cases, but yeah, like generally, yeah. And then uh, suppose the species population was broken up into subpopulations, which were mostly isolated and only occasionally interbred. Then surely subpopulations that restrain their breeding would be less likely to go extinct and would send out more messengers and create new colonies to re-inhabit the territories of crashed populations. Yeah, this was what was proposed as the way that uh, restrained breeding could actually be selected for. And as Eliezer says, the problem with the scenario wasn't that it was mathematically impossible. The problem was that it was possible, but very difficult. The fundamental problem is that, it not, o is that not only restrained breeders who reap the benefits of restrained breeding. It's not 
only restrained breeders <laughs> who reap the benefits of restrained breeding. So if you have some people who restrain their breeding and some who don't, the restrained breeding benefits everybody, but it'll benefit those who don't restrain their breeding, restrain their breeding more because they have, you know, the extra resources to exploit from the restrained breeders, but they still keep making lots of babies. Yeah, kind of the example of like the fisheries and I think that was from Meditations on Moloch, right? Um, yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you get one free rider, and they're like, "Oh, I can just benefit off of this while everyone else makes the sacrifice," hmm. and it's that's a not that's not a problem nature will solve for us. Yes. Yeah. It's actually quite a hard problem to solve. Yeah. <laughs> as it turns out. In fact, it says that uh, in this post, the requirement is that C divided by B is less than FST, which, gosh, that is really clunky in audio. But C is the cost of altruism to the donor, B is the benefit of altruism to the recipient, and FST is the spatial structure of the population, uh, i.e. the average relatedness between a randomly selected organism and its randomly selected neighbor. So the uh, the cost has would have to be uh, less than the benefit uh, by a degree that is commensurate with how related everybody is, which is why kin selection actually is uh, evolved for. Because mm-hmm. when you have share half your genes, then as long as the sacrifice is less than uh, half as costly uh, as as what you're getting, it actually is a a net benefit to the gene. Yeah. So <clears throat> that cool little math problem uh, was not the thing that lost this argument for the group selectionists, but an empirical observation, which was that foxes didn't restrain their breeding. Yeah. And we all know foxes are clever. That is one of the things they're most well known for. Eating chickens. Yeah. They're really good at eating chickens. Did you guys ever see the Fantastic Mr. Fox? Yeah. Good show. I, I don't know, not show, but movie. Movie. I'm not sure how like they managed to make a villain so lovable. I think it has a lot to do with George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunate. But, <laughs> yeah. but good stop motion, so. And that too. Maybe yeah. it makes up for George Clooney. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Oh, you don't like George Clooney? Uh... Wait, am I thinking of someone else? No, I think I do like George Clooney, and I'm thinking of someone else. So, never mind. Okay. Uh, back to this thing. Evolved enforcement mechanisms. Not originally postulated. Changed the game entirely. Yes, which is why we actually can have a lot more altruism than than would be naturally evolved, because we can do things like punish free riders and figure out prisoners' dilemmas and stuff. But that is kind of an aside. Yeah, there's this cool bit about how... Um, they created them artificially in a laboratory. Yeah. They, uh, the, this group of group selectionists was like, you know what? All right. Mathematical conditions, conditions for group selection, too extreme to be found in nature. But we have the power. Let us make these extreme conditions. What's funny is that like they're postulating that, like, hey, this thing that we believe is, is too constrained to have actually happened in nature. Mm-hmm. But we think it happened. Or at the very least, we think it could happen. So let's see if we can make it happen. Okay, so they gave up on this as an explanation for what we observe in the world. I, they just they wanted to see if they could test this idea. I did not read the books. I did not talk to yeah. the people. I'm just, this is what I get from this short, less than a few thousand words post. See, I thought you did all your homework and interviewed these scientists. That's fine, whatever. <laughs> now that I have all this free time, I should be tracking them down, right? Yeah, what's Gotta Michael J. Wade up to these days? Yeah. So what he did, though, was uh, repeatedly selecting populations of insects for low numbers of adults per subpopulation. The result was that instead of restraining their breeding and living in quiet peace with enough food for all, the adults adapted to cannibalize the eggs and larvae, and especially the female larvae. (laughs) Which is nature's great. Evolution is 
it's really good. Yeah. You select for low numbers of adults. What do you get? Lots of cannibalism. Lots of infanticide. Infanticide, insect, yes. Insect infanticide. Yeah. Which is why I think, like, as soon as I read Three Worlds Collide with the uh, insectile aliens that eat their babies because they have so many of them and they don't have enough resources. This... And, it, and it's like their religion to do so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this immediately came to mind. I was like, I bet that's where Eliezer got that alien species from. Totally. Yeah. Sorry for Three Worlds Collide spoilers, I guess. It's been on the internet for a while, though. Come on, guys. For a long time. I mean, come on. I did an audiobook of it years ago. Where, where are you, people? Um, we could... Uh, it's really not that much of a spoiler. It doesn't give away much plot. No, it's yeah. one detail about one alien species. I wouldn't worry it's about like it. It's like part one of, it has a bunch of parts. Is it so, part one? Well, yeah. it doesn't it? It's separated into several parts, right? It's separated into, I believe, eight parts. That's either one or two. I think you're right. I think it is part yeah, one. The baby eaters are like the one big reveal that starts all the other cascades. So yep, I, yep, you're right. In my definition of a spoiler, that's more of a teaser. Yeah. If the thing happens in the very early part of the setting up the story, it's not a spoiler. Thus has Jay spoken, and thus it shall be. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and yeah, Eliezer points out that of course selecting for small subpopulation sizes wouldn't restrain, wouldn't select for individuals who restrained their own breeding. It would select for individuals who restrained other people's breeding by <laughs> eating their children, especially the girls. Uh, but at this point, he does the cool thing where he says, "See, as I have been telling you all along through the past." hundred blog posts i've been doing by writing a long paragraph with like a dozen links to previous blog posts so whenever i put strange stress on a term it is because it is a link back to a different post it says this is an archetypical archetypical example of a missed third alternative resulting from a rationalization of a predetermined bottom line which produced a fake justification <laughs> and then motivatedly stopped it's all coming together <laughs> yes and uh, to put a little more detail, it says the group selectionists didn't start with clear, fresh minds, happen upon the idea of group selection, and neutrally extrapolated forward to probable outcomes. They started out with this beautiful idea that fox populations voluntarily restraining their po reproduction to what the rabbit population would bear. Nature in perfect harmony. And then they searched for a reason why this would happen and came up with the idea of group selection. Then, since they knew what uh, outcome they wanted... They knew what they wanted the outcome of group selection to be. They didn't look for any less beautiful and aesthetic, and aesthetic adaptations that group selection would be more likely to promote instead. They were doomed because their bottom line was originally suggested by their sense of aesthetics, and nature's bottom line was produced by natural selection. Quite anti-aesthetic, actually. <laughs> yes. The two processes had no principled reason for their outputs to correlate, and indeed they didn't. Uh, yeah, and this ends with uh, natural selection creates purposefulness, is plural, which are alien to humans, and students of evolutionary theory are warned accordingly. It's good training for any thinker, but it's especially important if you want to think clearly about other weird mindish processes that y that you do not that that do not work like you. And why is this last statement important? I like that he brought this home because there's a lot of posts on evolution in the sequences, and. Part of it, it's not a bad question to wonder. It's like, why am I getting a biology lesson when I'm trying to learn like about rationality or presumably, wrote, you know, building AIs? But the idea is like, all right, here's the process that built minds, and notice that it doesn't work like you think it should. Yeah. You are anthropomor anthropomorphizing nature. You're bound to try and do the same thing if you just imagine minds from scratch, and that's why you get Terminators and iRobot and all that shit. Yeah. There's other weird mindish processes in nature, and evolution is one of them, but it works nothing like what you think. And so 
And AI is another weird mindish process that will not work anything like a human, unless maybe it's very carefully programmed to do that. But just thinking it will as default is going to get you totally fucked and things will start eating your babies. Yeah, just the, the constant trope that of like, oh, then of course the robots woke up and realized they didn't like being s- slaves. And it's <laughs> like, I don't, th- but that sounds intuitive, right? To us, it stopped sounding intuitive as soon as we internalized all this stuff. But there's a reason that that's not an absurd idea for a movie, for a decades of tons of movies that are based on this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to know the most extreme example of that I saw in nature? In nature. Well, you know, out in the real world. Well, I mean, uh, okay, of what? Uh, of this sort of thing, of people thinking of uh, right, AI right. too much like humans. Uh, there was someone I was talking to who was like, yeah, you know, when the AIs finally get made, they're going to be so upset that we call them artificial intelligences. That's why they're going to rise up. Eh. And it took a while for me to realize that in her slang, artificial was like a term for fake, phony. And that the AIs would be upset that we've been dissing them this whole time by calling them artificial. And that's and I was like, yeah, okay, we, wow. We, you <laughs> know, we, we should really probably rebrand that to all natural organic intelligences. <laughs> right? Yeah. I was like, that is that is not a thing I would have ever thought, even if I thought we were calling them like, you know, poser intelligences. I that love that the... is not the reason I anticipate this going bad. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's, you know, artificial sweeteners aren't less sweet than re- than organic whole, you know. Uh, the whole dichotomy uh, between organic and uh, non-organic is fake anyway. Yeah. We, Would you say it's artificial? We humans <laughs> make things. We're a product of evolution. Like, bees make honey. Does that mean that honey's artificial? No, I think artificial actually t- takes its roots from artifice, right? Which is the product of human something? Probably. I mean, I'm just thinking, I, was, I always like thinking of... Uh, when someone's like, oh, no, I only like all natural things. I'm yeah. like, well, where are the supernatural alternatives that I can get? <laughs> mm-hmm. You like all natural headache medicine? Is there some supernatural medicine I can get? That would be a fun store to open. Uh, supernatural groceries. That would be fantastic. <laughs> it's just all really genetically modified stuff. Oh, see, I was thinking like a bunch of woo things where... No, that's natural groceries. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I actually like natural groceries. I don't know if I've ever been. I've probably walked into one or two before. It's like They're a hippie like grocery foods, store. Right? Yeah. Are they expensive like Whole Foods? Um, a bit more reasonable, but pricier than like King Supers. Okay. So, but like they have some better quality stuff, so I can, well, okay. I also sort of like it because I like laughing at all the woo. Mm. So maybe that's not everybody's aesthetic. Anyway, what about fake selfishness? I yes, guess. let's move on. <laughs> there's, there's another one. This is a super short one. Um, I, I guess I'll jump on it. Well, uh, it opens with a guy coming to Eliezer and saying, I'm perfectly selfish. You should be too. Yeah. <laughs> and Eliezer says, I doubt that. And he didn't say those little words. The things that he quoted himself as saying is, I've observed that with most religious people, at least the ones I meet, it doesn't matter much what their religion says because whatever they want to do, they can find a religious reason for it. Uh, okay, I'm going to have a similar comment. But uh, <laughs> what he says after that is that if you're genuinely selfish, then why do you want me to be selfish too? This was the first thought that came across my head when the guy was like, hey, I'm, I'm selfish, you should be too. And it's, yeah. how is it to your advantage to make me as selfish as you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't you be trying to persuade me to be more altruistic so you can exploit me? And when... <laughs> When I first read this post many, many years ago, I did not yet know Wes. <laughs> and so I was like, you know, oh, well, that's not true. Because at the time I was still, you know, kind of in the in the 
uh, rational selfishness kind of thing. But like now I have met Wes and Wes is totally the kind of person who'd be like, yeah, I want everyone to be really altruistic and give me all their money. <laughs> like Wes has got the actual selfishness down pretty good. <laughs> uh, but he does it in a way that's, you know, it, he's not perfectly selfish. He's altruistic no. and, and caring. It's, yeah. it's it's a nice balance. He, he knows what he cares about. And it's things like his friends and his his daughter especially seems to be a really big one right now. He seems really obsessed with his kid. Yeah, yeah. fucking <laughs> it's weird. weird. I don't know. Maybe it's an evolutionary thing. <laughs> there's no way that there's any evo psych reason behind why he cares for his kid. None at all. Yeah. It's entirely due to his own natural selfishness. We love you, Wes. Yes, we do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, at the end, like, that, that's basically it. He just thinks, okay, did you start out by thinking you wanted me to be selfish and then decide this was the most selfish thing you could possibly do? Or... Did he start out by wanting to convert others to selfishness and then look for ways to rationalize that as self-benefiting? Yeah. I I mean, this was... There's not much else to say about this post. It's it's basically pointing out that this person wasn't actually, you know, literally maximally selfish or genuinely selfish. And I don't know. I guess, yeah, depending on how you define selfishness. The I, I did, for a long time, have the, you know, Randian, um, rationally selfish phase, which it... it it makes was some just sense. Adolescence. I think that's that usually was, no, that just was post adolescence. No, that I'm was, just kidding. Yeah. No, that was in my uh, early twenties as actually a reaction of to to the patholog pathological altruism that sometimes rationalists fall into. You know, I mean, I wasn't uh, a rationalist yet mm-hmm. at the time because it was early, but it was one of those why why am I enjoying anything at all when there's people who are suffering with nothing and right yeah yeah, yeah. one of those one of those deals that ends up just making you miserable and making nothing better where if you act at least a little bit selfish it ends up being for the benefit of society in general because you're actually making things better by trying to better yourself and you know that's where that that uh i believe scott wrote a post about it where sometimes uh if you someone is way too far in one extreme making them a bit more selfish is uh, a thing that will help them in fact it was even brought up in methods of rationality when uh when Harry Potter was like, "Hey, Weasleys, you guys really should read a little bit of Rand. I think you're one of the few people you around." Could from this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know if it was the Weasleys. It was. It was. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Well, yeah. There's not really a whole lot more to say about that, is there? Yeah, this one sort of just ties into or I rather, think the next couple of posts, like fake fake morality and fake optimization. Oh, I was gonna say also, or rather, we could sort of just get into our main two yeah. articles, which also tie in real nicely uh but we should tell people what we're reading next time which is those two yes yep fake morality and fake optimization criteria just lots of fake stuff yes that we're gonna talk about yeah just remembering about the fake selfishness will help um cue you up for talking about those two things because the actual truly selfish person wouldn't try to make other people also selfish um all right moving on our main subject is going to be the two posts, your Inside Newcombs box and IQ Shredder, who, which are vaguely related and which, I I mean, I didn't plan it this way to be um, working at the same <laughs> time as we did the uh, selfish gene thing that or group selectionism thing. Where, uh, you could genes... have just taken credit for having planned this really cleverly. I mean, what I meant is I planned it really cleverly. <laughs> <laughs> where the most important thing to remember was that genes... Uh, um, must somehow directly cause themselves to be reproduced more frequently in the next in the next generation or they will die out uh because that's kind of what both of these touch on at least at least somewhat so 
The first post being that we're going to talk about is you are inside Newcomb's box, which is an old post on Less Wrong. This mm-hmm. was back in 2011, February. Yes. Uh, by old user, old, I don't want to say old, um, <laughs> distinguished, uh, Luke Prague. venerable. No, not Luke Prog. Honor DB. Oh, I was looking at another thing. That's right. I read, I read a bunch of other linked posts this week on some of this stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I got my wires crossed. Yes, but um, I guess we should have quickly a real fast refresher of Newcomb's Box. We did an entire episode about Newcomb's Box, I believe, earlier. We were so young. Yeah, I think, yeah that was before I was here because I also had to remind myself what the heck Newcomb's Box was. It was many years ago. We will link it to the entire episode if anyone wants to hear little baby usses uh, talking about things all wide-eyed and... <laughs> Full of hope. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, but as a quick refresher, uh, the original Newcomb's box problem, as proposed by Newcomb, was that uh, a entity, often referred to as Omega, which is a super predictor, uh, shows up in front of you, and it has two boxes. One is opaque, and, or and, and one is transparent, and one is opaque. Uh, for simplicity, I'm going to call the transparent one a glass box, and the opaque one a steel box. Uh, the glass box, glass A, contains $1,000. You can see $1,000 in cash right there. Money. The steel box is opaque. You can't see into it because it's made out of steel. It has either $1 million in cash or it's completely empty. And Omega gives you two choices. You can take both the boxes if you want, or you can take only the box, the steel box. Uh, and that that uh, seems... on. On its face, kind of a dumb question. Like, why would you take just the box that might be empty or have a million dollars when you could have take that one plus a thousand dollars that you can see in glass? But there's a twist. Omega has either put the million dollars in the steel box or not if and only if Omega predicted that you will only take the steel box. So if Omega predicts you will only take the steel box, it has a million dollars in it. If it predicted you will take both, then it is empty. He then drops the two boxes in front of you and flies away never to be seen again. So what he's already put in the steel box is already decided. And now you get to choose. Do you take both boxes or do you only take the steel box? And for the record, Omega has done this many, many times before with other people. Let's say at least a thousand times. And every time he's been correct in what he guessed the people would do. So the intuitive answer to me is you take the steel box. And I don't understand why that's contentious. That is... I have the same feeling, yes. I think it comes down to... Like, do I trust this super predictor? Yeah, something like that. Or like, then yeah, it gets it gets weird into I guess uh, if in fact it like is this good of a predictor, then you are in fact the kind of person you're very likely to be the kind of person that thinks you are. (laughs) So you can go down all kinds of rabbit holes, but we're gonna go down this like other one that expands upon this. Yeah, I mean the 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 real thing is most people get hung up on, you know, whether there's backwards causality. Like yeah. you can't cause omega to have put the million in it uh regardless of what you choose, so you might as well take both and get 1 million and $1,000. Uh but um but it predicts the future to some high reliability. Right. So you can kind of backwards cause it by by the fact that you know it's such a good predictor. The this is actually similar to um a defense of Calvinism, which is the old Christian idea that uh, uh, everyone is already destined to go to either heaven or hell, and there's not, God knows, even before you're born, what's going to happen, and you can't change it at all, but you still have to live your best life, because whether you go to heaven or hell depends on what you did or what you're going to do in life, so you 
it's the same backwards causality thing where God knew slash predicted you would go to heaven or hell and he's a perfect predictor. So he knew what was going to happen, even though it was still your choices doing it sort of yeah which like begs the question then why do any of this whole earth and humans thing <laughs> that's really one of the things that annoyed me as a kid and i was curious about all this afterlife you know god heaven business yeah the I whole thought... you know well god has a plan and i'm like looking around at the world <clears throat> really because it kind of does it looks really random and pointless it looks to be built at cross purposes yeah. um i thought the calvinism thing i thought there was only like a few hundred people that were going to go to heaven no, no, no. Uh, it was it was anybody who was the kind of person who was already going to live a good life. Well, it was anyone who was predestined to go to heaven by God. I could have sworn it had, like capped at like seven hundred and seventy-seven or some nonsense. Uh, so <laughs> you might be thinking about uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. There's Maybe. there's a few different denominations that um, that descended from uh, God. I forget this name. A guy in the late eighteen hundreds. Um, but, uh, the Jehovah's Witness specifically has 144,000 that go to... That's the number I was thinking of. Okay, yeah, so that's, that's the, the sub-sector religion I was thinking of. Okay, cool. But they have a thing where, um, even though those are the only people that go to heaven, the, at heaven they serve as kind of like a, a, a ruling council, perhaps a Bayesian conspiracy of sorts, and, uh, there's still tons of good people that get to live on Earth in a remade paradise where they are immortal and free from suffering. Yeah, because you gotta update that like by the way you're probably definitely going to hell thing somewhat to get anyone interested in your religion i so i don't know like i think religion's not really about that <laughs> like it, it pretends to be about that but it seems like it's actually more about like the coffee and donuts and like you know getting together and feeling superior to everybody else i, I just meant the mimetic fitness of like that particular religion when in competition with other ones Right? Like, why would I subscribe to the one that says, I'm probably going to hell if there's one over here that says you're definitely going to heaven? Because they proselytize really hard. The thing is, like, I was raised as Jehovah's Witness, so I was taught that, like, from the very beginning, this had been the belief. But now that you mention it, maybe it was a later interpolation once they had more than 144,000 <laughs> Jehovah's Witnesses. They're like, huh, how yeah. do we fix this? Yeah, if it's you and, you know, a few dozen friends, then sure. Yeah, of course, all of us. Yeah. <laughs> but then you make up some number. And, oh, I didn't know we'd get this big. Okay, yeah. So... They get they get in too, yeah, we're, we're, yeah, of course. But the interpolation or the the if it was a change, the change definitely happened way long ago. So there were no one nowadays remembers that it was originally that way. Fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, so that was the original Newcomb's box. So here's the twist: where you are in Newcomb's box, uh, Omega comes to you has I ha says I have two boxes, each containing a hundred dollars. You can take either box A and box B or just box B. You get all the money in the box or boxes that you take, and there will be no other consequences of any kind. So uh, you can either get $100 or $200. Steven? $200, in this, no, no, I know, but you're waiting for the catch. Well, yeah, but I mean, just so far, so good. You're telling me... I mean, it, if I came to you right now, and I've got, you know, two hands closed, and they each have a $100 bill in them, which, which hand or hands do you want me to open? You'd be like, both? Yeah. Yeah, nothing to it. Uh, so here's the twist. Uh, you were created by a god, a being called Prometheus. Prometheus isn't omniscient and definitely not benevolent. He was given a large set of blueprints for possible human embryos, and for each blueprint that pleased him, he created that embryo and put it in a human womb. Uh, here's how he judged the blueprints as pleasing or not. If he guessed the blueprint would grow into a person that would choose only one box, he created it. Uh, if he guessed that it would grow into a person who chose both boxes, he filed it away unused. His predictive ability is not perfect, but it is very strong. He is a god, after all, the god of foresight. So now do you take both boxes or only one box? This is where the post lost me when I read it. Mm -hmm. 
I'm already there mm-hmm. at the boxes. Mm-hmm. I've already been created. Mm-hmm. So how is that different from the Omega situation where he's already put the money in the steel box or not and flown away? Because I can't, because I don't know, because I can't see into both boxes, I guess. I mean, you uh, can't see into these boxes either. It doesn't matter if you can see into them or not since they both have the same amount of money. The, well, the, yeah, so that's the thing is they're different amounts of money or they're, the money is the same. Like the the benefit of $1 million is a thousand times better than the benefit of a thousand dollars. So I'd rather have that one. In this... The benefit of existing is much better than the benefit of an extra $100, right? Right, but I'm already existing. That's that's the thing that keeps... that never settled with me on this that i couldn't get like yeah the I think backwards causality just, is very silly right so something something just didn't click with me that's okay. that's where i was like when i when i read these and the next one we're going to cover i'm like you're gonna have to explain this to me because okay. I, I i couldn't figure out why this was a problem <laughs> i well. so do you not think that choosing box only the steel box makes omega put money in the steel box no the money's already in there okay so why not take both boxes then because the predictor that i trust said if you take this box and only this box there's a million dollars in it mm-hmm. so I, I again i might be missing something if i sound stupid that's I just mean, what if that, that's just me several th- for, for the past several thousand people that uh omega has presented this situation to all the people only took one box instead of both of them and then the economy's ruined <laughs> <laughs> um that that people uh, presented the prometheus that omega presented the prometheus one too this one just doesn't be strong um strongly indicative that maybe people who take both boxes simply aren't created so if if i did have that yeah if i knew that the the past thousand people only took one box at the very least i'd be so confused with the situation and it's only a hundred dollars i'd be like okay i'll just take one okay and i and i know that's not like probably the spirit of the question but that's that that would be what i would do <laughs> if they both had like a hundred thousand then then i'd be more inclined to to sit there and, and think about it um I, I guess the, like... the fact that I already exist yeah. is, is the is the difference, right? Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be unexisted. Mm-hmm. What is that? Is that because there's no threat? The guy leaves, right? Right. And so I it's, mean, it's not like, like you he... said you you were already born. He decides way back when you know you're an embryo whether to implant you or not. Right. So unless he's gonna kill me, no, he's not gonna kill you. Then I. I, and I, if I sound stupid, like I'm not getting it, I'm sorry. But I, no, what, no, no. what I, stopped I, me from taking both? <laughs> I, I, I think you're totally getting it. It's just that that is the exact same reasoning for people who take both boxes with Omega use. Like, he's already flown off. The money's either there or not. What's stopping me from taking both? And I mean, you can change the Omega boxes so they both have $100,000. So that you either get, you know, 100000 or 200000 So, like, I actually care about the outcome. Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like there's something distinct. I'll have to, I'll, I'll noodle on it for a second. Keep keep discussing it. Jace, do you, do you have anything? <laughs> I was just going to have my like joke answer, which is sort of as a rule of thumb, if some guy comes to you holding two boxes, just run away. Like, <laughs> it's probably not worth the. It's going to really just mess with you. <laughs> I don't know. Now, uh, the thing that comes up for me with this is sort of what we were talking about with the sequences, where I think that the whole reason that this is a problem that people struggle with a, a fun brain noodle or whatever Steven said, or I don't think he used the word fun, mm-hmm. um, is we are, we're human brains, uh, you know, piloting human bodies that were in fact created by this evolutionary process that makes us, uh, well, so like historically we've been our own worst enemy and also like we're, we depend on each other for survival. So we are sort of like these predictor machines of other humans. Mm-hmm. Where brains try like, that are like designed to mostly try to figure out other brains and do social manipulation stuff. So it makes me think of um, 
forget where I read this, but there was some uh, study or poll where they had uh, children of a certain age uh, look at various pictures of, for example, like rocks, and they're like, what do you think rocks are for? And the children would treat this as a completely like sensible question. question and go, um, probably so animals can scratch themselves. Huh. <laughs> or yeah. like, it's just obvious that things have a purpose to humans because we're, we are purpose driven things that make things for purposes, tool users, you know, mm-hmm. brain figure outers. And so it sounds like a coherent question, you know, what is X for? Mm-hmm. And usually that like, in in our whole ancestral history, that would have been a good question to ask if you come across something weird. And then that's why, you know, like, you, we get all these, like, creation myths about why the Earth exists that usually have to do with some, like, well, the spider god and the monkey god had a fight, and then, like, they, like, you know, the one guy lost a game of cards and he cried a waterfall, and that's where waterfalls come from. It's just, like, it, it, we're really bothered by, like, not knowing this because we, it, it really does, like, I think to the best of our, like, understanding so you think it's an incoherent question i think so like it's sort of the same thing of like what are molecules for what is what is the universe for why do i exist you know what is the purpose of life that's why that question about like uh what like god's plan always bugged me because i you know you look around at like human history and it looks like a bunch of like wars over like territory and natural disasters for no reason and like like what what is this plan so, is this headed towards something? It just looks kind of like stuff's happening, and and there there's causality, sure, but not like forethought. So y'all <laughs> are definitely far more sensible than I am because I immediately was when I read this many years ago, which was why the trap that sprung on you in the third section here fucked me up. Uh, I immediately was like, well, obviously I would pick box B because I would like to exist. And if I can choose to have a million dollars in the original Nucom problem by being the kind of person who takes a million dollars, then obviously I can choose to exist in this problem by being the person who chooses the box that makes me exist. <laughs> but there's no threat of unexistence with this. That's the thing that confuses me. I mean, there's also no way that Nucom can change what's in the steel box. But if you I mean, had... Omega. Or, or Omega, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> if Newcomb comes to you, first awesome. of all, you're like, wait, <laughs> Is, isn't he dead? Is he dead? Especially if he comes with two boxes. Oh, dude, if Zombie Newcomb shows up, yeah, run. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, in you're basically, I guess, trying to validate whether Newcomb is not Newcomb. Omega <laughs> is you're trying to alter what he would do by being a different kind of person, right? I am the kind of person who would only one box when presented in this situation, so I will get the million dollars, and Newcomb can predict that, so Newcomb will give the million dollars. And I want to be the person who would only one box in order to exist, and if Prometheus can predict that, then Prometheus will uh, make me exist, and therefore I have to be the kind of person that only one box is in order to exist. Hmm. But I guess that's that's what we're talking about with reverse causality here, right? Yeah. Because... And and I get that my answer of like, but I'm already here, like I'm I'm already existent. Is the same as, but the steel box is already there and closed. Yeah, yeah. and and I guess I I see that, and yet there's there's something there there's this distinction in my brain that like if if Omega in the first situation in the OG Newcomb's problem says, okay, look, if I'm gauging you right, mm-hmm. then you're the kind of person who'll take one box you'll get the million dollars mm-hmm. and i am a real good gauge of people mm-hmm. then i'm like well i like the million dollars and the other one he's like if i if i gauge you right you're the kind of person who will exist <laughs> and i'm like 
well, so far so good. You're not impressing me with your, <laughs> your, your observation skills. Yeah. And then he's like, yeah, so if you exist, you get to take a box. If you don't exist, the pe- people who don't exist, they take both boxes. Like that, that makes no fucking sense to me. <laughs> it does kind of sound like a threat to unexist you if you choose both boxes, though. Yes, but also, Newcomb's already made, not Newcomb, Omega, <laughs> Omega has already made his prediction when you, when he approaches you. So, like, when he says, if my prediction is correct, then you'll get a million dollars, and you say, great, now I have 1.1 million dollars, thanks. I'm, I'm sorry your prediction was wrong. Yeah. yeah, but if I was the kind of person that would two box, then Omega uh, wouldn't put money in the steel box, right? right? And if you were the kind of person who would two box with prometheus then you wouldn't exist but i seem but you see the difference though like if i'm going to be picking boxes at all in the second situation i already exist so in theory prometheus could be uh in theory omega could be wrong whereas i mean in theory prometheus could be wrong and you could prove that he was wrong by taking both boxes and yet existing it and if there's no threat of him killing me then i don't see the the harm wouldn't you say that if this is the actual true story, then the vast majority of humans are going to only pick one box and you might be an aberration. My my just like down to earth answer is that most people will not understand the quandary well enough to see why this is a hard problem. and They'll take both boxes in the second situation. See, I think if this is an actual true the way the world is, most people will not understand the quandary enough to understand why this is a, an issue and just take one box because they will have been the kind of people Omega created uh, they will have been the kind of people that were selected to only take one box when they were before they were born. So I guess the moral of the story is if a dude comes with these two boxes, then you just sort of instinctually like, I know what to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one. And most people would instinctually just be like, yep, one box, thanks. Because that is how Prometheus decided to make people. And us here might be like, uh, wow, this is a weird thing. Why is this even a problem? Give me both boxes, homie. But we would be an extreme outlier minority. There'd only be one of us for every thousand people on the planet. That actually sounds about right for people who have read this, the Newcomb Pro, who, who can tell you what a Newcomb problem is, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Maybe, maybe this whole Prometheus business worked fine until Newcomb came along, articulated the problem, and then the people who are familiar with it, they're the ones throwing wrenches in his favorite blueprint plan right okay so so the vast majority of people do uh, one box with prometheus then i'm merely confused by those people (laughs) well um uh, apparently among mathematicians there's this 1969 article um where to almost everyone it was totally clear and obvious what should be done the difficulty was that they seem to divide almost evenly on the problem (laughs) with large numbers thinking the opposite half is just as silly okay and the problem apparently continues to divide mathematicians and philosophers today there's tons of game theoretical like digging real deep into it i'm just looking at the wikipedia article on newcomb's paradox yeah but then uh there's so there's the the whole game theory section, which is cool, but I like scroll down to the causality and free will section, mm-hmm. and th- it just gets even more fun. <laughs> well, so there's a way we could do this empirically. So wait, could I just yeah. read one part of this? <laughs> wait, how could we do this empirically? I'll, I'll I'll save it. Okay, what do you got? Well, apparently you can't because uh, game theorists have done a lot of math here, but. Uh, so someone, William Lane Craig, suggested that in oh. a world with perfect predictors or time machines, because a time machine could be used as a mechanism for making a prediction, retrocausality could occur. So if a person truly knew the future and that knowledge affected their actions, then the events of the future will be causing effects in the past. Yeah. So the chooser's choice will have already caused the predictions at the predictor's action. <laughs> like John and Watchmen. 
Yeah. Or possibly like God in real life, depending. Or like Nicolas Cage in the movie Next. <laughs> I saw like the first 10 minutes of that and then I got bored. I don't remember why. Uh, I don't remember. I saw it years and years ago. The first 10 minutes were fucking awesome. Yeah, though. he can see two minutes into the future. Yeah. And when you observe the future, you change it. Yeah. So yeah. like that's, that is what I would expect if you could see into the future. So, okay. But getting getting back into this... um. So we live in a world, if Prometheus actually oh, wait, exists. my empirical test. Yes, your empirical test. If we want to just, like, solve this problem and see what people would actually do. Yeah. So you get a steel box, a glass box, and they each have checks rather than money. Okay. So, like, then that way you don't have to burn a bunch of cash because this involves a lot of burning. Okay. So if they pick up the glass box, uh, well, there's just, I don't know, some some sensor. If the other, If both boxes are picked up, the mm-hmm. contents of the steel box are incinerated. Okay. If they only pick up the steel box and then go to the other side of the building to have it opened it contains the check for money okay right but then you don't um then you aren't making a prediction no we just tell them that hey if you if you only take the one box uh oh, okay you, so you don't, you're retroactively you don't, a perfect predictor because right you, okay, you, okay you don't tell them i'm gonna set this on fire if you try and cheat you just yeah. do that okay yeah cool but you're changing but you're taking like the role of omega there and that changes the paradox because you're not a perfect predictor you tell them it either has a check for a million dollars or a pile of ash (laughs) right like the question isn't about what the people will pick but like the the important part there is the perfect predictor tells you this that's what makes it this whole like free will consciousness quandary i'm inclined to believe the perfect predictor what i so that i think that's the difference is that the perfect predictor in in scenario a believe the perfect predictor in scenario in prometheus scenario because he's he's it's, 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 nearly it's, perfect. So, well, well, that it's the, the difference is is that in scenario B, my intuition is like he already put the money in my pocket, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. In scenario A, I have to just take this take the steel box that the that the, the basically perfect predictor tells me will have a million dollars, and then I get the million dollars. I think so. Then that one, it's like okay, you know, I'll take your word for it, strange figure, and then they teleport away because they're magic. Um, in the second situation, and then you take both boxes because mm, they teleported away. I there's just some difference there that may, and it could just be, this is my failure of, of I think the probabilistic primary... rationality that I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this right. But the, 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 the proof of the second situation seems to be that I would exist if I took one box. Mm-hmm. I, I already the... exist. I think the primary difference is that it feels like you haven't decided to only take one box yet. So it feels like you have some control over what's in the boxes. In the second situation? No, in the first situation. When, um, with Omega and the steel box, you haven't decided to take both or just one yet. And so it feels like you have control. Right. Even though you literally have no control. It's already been decided. It's like... Yeah, but like in the second situation, it's like if you were to come to me and say, if you exist, you'll take one box. If you don't, you'll take neither or you'll take both. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I'm hearing your your proposal here. It sounds like I, to me, like I exist. Yeah. It feels like I exist. Yeah. It's, but it's not literally that you uh, if you exist or you don't exist, it's whether Prometheus predicted that you would and then implanted you into a womb or not right so you could be that one so here's the thing you are that one weird outlier right prometheus was wrong this one time out of a thousand i guess so and so there is you exist in a world where people like you are extremely rare almost everybody else is a different type of human i'm unique just like everyone else (laughs) right well you know not in this scenario yeah there's some other people like out there like you but uh because of that you your chances of having existed initially are much more, and people like you are very rare in this world. <laughs> I'm okay with this so far. Okay. I, I mean, that's that's basically it. There's going to be less people like you going forward as well. You're still okay with that. I would like there to be more people like me, but, you know, 
that's that's I'm not lost yet. I get more confused in this in the subsequent parts of this post. Yeah, so. I think it's just uh, <laughs> it's like I, I hate to use these words, I guess, mm-hmm. but it's kind of a stupid question. It's like, or it, it almost feels like it, it was intended to nerd snipe philosophers. It nerd sniped the fuck out of me. Because, like, so the fact that this paradox presupposes a perfect predictor or means that the chooser one. isn't actually free to choose, mm-hmm. but simultaneously presumes that you can debate about this. Mm-hmm. So, like sort of the real debate there is uh i don't know it's it, it just it's a silly question it's like okay you know this perfect predictor comes and says make a choice uh, and i already know which choice you're gonna make but you still get to make it so like do you or don't you get to make the choice the the question says that both or it doesn't like you know say which universe you're living in <laughs> i personally would like so that's what you're arguing about just a, a contradictory question that actually is pretty nonsensical <laughs> i pr- i mean so this goes back a lot to remember a long time ago, we we uh, had this talk about uh, the quantum multiverses thing and various stupid risks we've taken. And we're like, wow, I bet in nine out of ten universes, I died doing that. And there's much less of me now. I had this, and I for memory refresher, I had this like independent realization of this thing. And then years later, stumbled across the term quantum immortality. Okay. And that's what this is that oh, you're describing. Yeah, uh, I mean, sort of, yes. Yeah, well, yeah, the, the mem- not, not, the, not the current situation, but like what you're reminding us of. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. But, I mean, do you still have that intuition that when you did those risky things in many universes, you probably died, and so there's less of you spread across universes now? I suppose. Does that worry you or bother you at all? In like some abstract sense, to the, to the extent that I can emotionally connect at all with parallel universes Mm -hmm. i feel a little like diminished like there are fewer fewer verses of me fewer versions of me across time spaces yeah but not in a way that i actually find myself caring about okay so you would continue to take that nine out of ten risk because you figure you're gonna live through it anyway so who cares it's kind of like I don't buy lottery tickets. Yeah. Even though if I did, one of me would win. Or in fact, a bunch of me would win because multiverse, right? Yes. If but I was the kind you of person would lose who more money on net across universes than you win due to the odds. But that's because I don't care about the other Stevens in other universes. <laughs> if I did, I'd be like, I'd, I'll give, I'll throw away five bucks a year to make one of me rich. Maybe it'll be me, right? Uh, but I don't think it'll be me. On net, you would be making all of you poorer though, because one of you would get an extra, you know. I don't know, $100 million, but on net, all of you has lost $100 million because you spent $200 million playing. But, one of you, but the difference is like five bucks to me is effectively nothing. Okay. And so it's so like I've, dust I've, I've, I've actually lost nothing. Okay. Whereas that was like, what I was just thinking yeah. of. The whole like problems with utilitarianism where you assume that Eudelon's sort of, you know, like... That two Eudelons is exactly twice as good as one? Well, more that sort of, you know, everybody having a mild annoyance versus one person being tortured actually weighs out in favor of like well we should let the one person be tortured but it's like the one consciousness is experiencing all the torture while all the other consciousnesses are the utilons are dispersed so why don't you blow five dollars a year on lottery tickets i apparently don't care that much about alternate universe stevens (laughs) there's so many other choices that if you believed in this like again repugnant conclusions and whatever there's so many other things you'd have to do if you thought that this mattered i kind of think it matters yeah um Kinda, not. <laughs> you probably don't not behave a lot, as though it but does, also though. not zero either. I don't know. There's there the, the top the top comment in this summarizes my thoughts on this really well. Just the first sentence. Um, Wait, can I bring it back real quick as to why I was asking about the quantum? Yeah, thing? because uh, basically, when you're doing that thing, you know that 
causes you know you to die in nine out of ten other multiverses when you choose to take both boxes here when you're talking to prometheus that means that out of every thousand universes you have now restricted you to only exist in one of them out of the other out of the out of a thousand whereas before you would have existed in 999 out of a thousand now it's the opposite you only exist in one out of a thousand universes because he's almost always correct and you have just drastically shrunken your uh your probability space of existing across universes, even though you do exist in this one empirically. You really steel manned this uh, argument because I don't think he got in anything like that no. sort of stuff. Yeah. So put that way, it really makes sense that I would take one box because I'd want all of me to take one box. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And yet if they all already exist and they're all making this decision, their, their, their decisions won't retroactively make any of us not exist. No, but it will make it so that those all those people do exist, yeah, but they exist at one one-thousandth the 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 rate that they could the have. The rate, yeah. It's not just do uh, they exist, though, but do they have free will? I'm less concerned about that. <laughs> but yeah, the, 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 just the sentence, because you said it was silly, Jace. I like this way of phrasing it. It's nicer and... Uh, Maybe less nice at the same time. <laughs> Ultimately, it's a silly, perfect example of how some people can be so sharp that they cut themselves. <laughs> that is exactly what I was trying to get at. Well done, that commenter. It's uh, Eris Katsaris. The comment is 11 years old. It seems like it would be really funny to come up with paradoxes like these and sort of just like roll them up and put them in like a little beanbag and then just throw them into a philosopher's convention. Hmm. Because, like, the thing is with... It feels like what a lot of Less Wrong was about yes. for a number of years. <laughs> yeah. I think it continues to sometimes be about this. If I was the kind of person to buy lottery tickets to possibly benefit other alternate Stevens, I'd be very susceptible to Pascal's muggings. Right. Right? I mean, you also might be susceptible to uh, quantum suicide to win the lotto. Right. And I'm not inclined to do that. Yeah. So maybe I'm just too laid back about it, but I'm just... I don't know. It's... the. the I had a, a background thought, I think it was before I even read these, that like, we can do an episode at some point, like, what is a rationalist? Because is a rationalist a per, is a per, is Revisiting a episode one, oh boy. <laughs> is a, we should revisit it every 200 no, episodes or so. Episode yeah. one was what is rationality? Okay. Not what is a rationalist? Uh, okay. Something like I think that. it was when, they, when she asked what rationality is. Okay, okay. Because I'm, I'm curious what a rationalist is. Is a rationalist a person who... It, am I not a rationalist because I don't find this a compelling quandary? No, there's quandaries I don't find compelling. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it, I, this is... We'll, we'll dive into that maybe at length if there's anything there worth discussing another time. But I'm just like... I, I find myself like not... not I, I don't lose any sleep over this problem right okay. if again if i met something if i was in the situation i would i would anguish this would be so weird but now it's like, yeah no i'm good do you have <laughs> real quick any any thoughts about the whole quantum thickness thing how much of you exists across the multiverse or do you not even bother with multiversal i can't know sure but if this prometheus thing existed you would know that your answer greatly affects how but it doesn't someone made it up it's a, it's a thought experiment. Oh, right, right. I know. And entertain the thought experiment if it was real. Do you, not even this situation, like just in general, do you bother, um, do you put any stock in how much of you there is across the multiverses? Uh, now you're making me really think about it. Uh, so I sort of think that uh, maybe a more important question there is how important do I think I am to like the grand scheme of things where sort of, I don't know. I, I think that like, I don't know if First of all, has. I can't know this. And then, like, secondly, like, even if I can, I can't really do very much about it. I don't think that there is actually a huge amount of free will. Like, especially a lot of the decisions I made in my life are 
just when I was young and based on outside forces. So, and then there's, you know, butterfly effects, sort of chaotic things, quantum randomness or whatever that's going to change the way things happen anyway. So how much can you really control? It seems like it's not really worth agonizing over. You don't have any emotional investment of more of you existing than less? Kind of not really. I mean, again, I don't think that I'm that important. Like, I, I like existing and like, but the universe is cool and other people are cool too. And I mean, I don't think I'm that important either, but the I like existing thing is a really strong motivator for me. Yeah. And, you know, evolution sort of dictates that that's the case. But then also you uh, got a vasectomy, right? I did. Which, so... which is going to come into play here when we get to the third part <laughs> oh, of this post. Okay. Yeah. Well, wait, the third part of, you mean the next uh, article or? Well, the next article too, but specifically the third part of this post. Okay. Is... We should probably do that then because okay. there was a, there were, wait, but wait, there's more. But wait, this. there's more. Yes. All right. So for, for those people who are like me and who think it's obvious, you only take one box <laughs> to maximize your chances of existing and to be in as many possible <laughs> quantum uh, worlds as as you can be uh there is the trap that is sprung here and he did say before he springs the trap that like many of you are smart and have already seen through this trap so this doesn't apply to you but i didn't because i'm not that smart he me either for what it's worth okay <laughs> but you 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 didn't fall into the trap i you just didn't find the bait appealing <laughs> i yeah I, I, the bait didn't didn't catch me yeah okay. do, do you want to read this part steven no you guys go ahead you weren't created by Prometheus. You were created by Azathoth, the god that is evolution by natural selection. You are the product of an ongoing optimization process that is trying to maximize reproductive fitness. Gasp. <laughs> Azathoth wants you to maximize your number of descendants. If you fail to have descendants, Azathoth will try to not have created you. If your intelligence reduces your reproduction rate, Azathoth will try not to grant you intelligence. Womp womp. <laughs> it would seem then that any decision theory that demands that you one box also demands that you try to maximize your reproductive fitness. Which really fucked me up. Oops. Because, yeah, <laughs> Prometheus isn't deciding whether to create me or not based on whether I'm going to one box or two box. Prometheus is deciding whether to create me or not based on whether he thinks I am going to continue to spread my genes in the next generation and have a lot more of them. And... Um, that means that if I'm trying to one box to maximize my chances of existing, I should, uh, have multiple children at the very least. Seems See, that, like... that makes no sense to me. No. Why is, how is that not a direct corollary to one boxing with the Prometheus problem? Well, maybe it's because I wasn't sold on the first thought, ex first part of the thought experiment. But I mean, even if you weren't sold on it, it's a direct corollary and you're just like, haha, I managed to avoid that trap because I didn't one box. But you, you already exist. Evolution is not uh, going to make your existence less likely, depending on whether or not you have kids. Right. Same with Prometheus. He's, you already exist. And that's why I wasn't worried about it. That's why, <laughs> that's why I two-boxed in the Prometheus problem. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, I... I was totally worried about it because I would like to maximize my chances of existing. But you realize that nothing, no amount of kids you have will have any impact on whether or not you were born. It might. Do I realize that? But it might have an impact on how many people like Inuyash exist in the future. It will. It will have an impact. How much like Inuyashness is there is? In the yeah, <laughs> but that, that's it, a separate question. It also really defects against people like me in the past, who the only reason I'm around is because they decided to have uh, more kids, and if I don't continue that, I am I am decreasing the chances of me having been born. It is kind of like no, interesting that. <laughs> IQ. Yes, I am. <laughs> well, it's, it is kind of interesting that high IQ tends to anti-correlate with having children, or a lot of rationalists are like antinatalists. I, I think that's actually a completely separate reason. Well, it 
I think that's where we get into IQ shredders, which yeah. we can talk about later. Like in the past, high IQ people had a lot of children, and uh, and we can get to that when we get to that. But I, I do think that um, I do think that this is a quandary for me, or or it was at least when I read it, and I came up with my own answer, and then I was looking through my comments, and I was like, oh hey, this is the same answer I gave 15 <laughs> years ago. So at least I'm consistent. But um, that's good. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't but dig far enough in the comments to find yours. But you know, so you'll probably get along with the multiple versions of yourself. Well, fifteen years ago, I was convinced by the answer, and now it feels like I'm grasping at straws, and I'm not convinced <laughs> by the answer at all. I, I think my answer is closer to something like what Stephen's been saying: that Azathoth made a mistake and created me, and here I am, and I'm not going to change my existence by not breeding, and I can't even like in a multiverse. Uh, like in the quantum multiverse with Prometheus, it makes sense that I am maximizing my existence among multiverses by choosing to one box. But in a quantum multiverse with Azathoth, I'm not even maximizing my existence by making children because Azathoth doesn't predict based on that. It just, you know, reproduces the genes that reproduce themselves. Does it help if you reframe that as just giving the finger to Azathoth? Mm, no. And then like taking a sacrifice, you know, like sacrificing yourself to give god two big middle fingers <laughs> gosh i like thinking it that way because i would hope that's what i would do in real life if there was a real god there we go yeah. we fixed it we no it. damn it stop fixing things oh okay sorry well, don't you want to feel better about this no <laughs> <laughs> if i wanted to feel better about things i wouldn't read rationalist stuff i i 100 percent disagree lots of drugs i i think that you can feel better about understanding things as they actually are and being rational but that's right, true so here's here's yudkowsky's reply to this mm. as a thought wants you he's quoting as a thought wants you to maximize your number of descendants if you fail to have descendants as will try not to have created you that seems to be what's tripping you up right i mean not really what's tripping me up is the direct corollary to prometheus where that makes sense but it doesn't make sense with as since as doesn't try anything it's just a description of a natural process like a description of gravity that right. we're anthropomorphizing that that that's basically what Dukowski says oh okay yeah he's like the, he's he, so he's, he says the quote and then he says but this seems merely false as as a thought doesn't just create just creates descendants whose ancestors reproduced as a thought isn't exerting any any sort of foresight as to whether or not you reproduce i can't f- figure out who or what you're trying to trade with not having children simply does not make you retroactively less likely to have existed right where it would with Prometheus, but it doesn't with Azathoth. Right. So in, in the one, in the first p- part one, in this bizarre, you know, out there thought experiment, you mm-hmm. know, imagine a perfectly spherical Hitler in a vacuum. Like, <laughs> that's fine. But when you like, when you try to extrapolate to pointing at nature that we can all go look at, yeah. it's like, I, you're, that's the, the, the nice, fun, you know, mental masturbation thought experiment falls apart. Yeah. I, I think it, Definitely works in the case of Prometheus, and then it falls apart with Azathoth because Azathoth is not actually a predictor. It's the result of natural processes, which have certain results that we can they don't have see wants. and correlate. Yeah, like there's natu- no predicting yeah. happening. There's just the results of what has been weeded out and what does a lot of boinking. <laughs> yeah, Yudkowsky finishes this comment by saying, "I suppose you could be in a, in a Newcomb-like situation with your parents making a similar decision." to have birthed you i don't see how you could be in one with respect to as a thought slash evolution i'm not it's not modeling you it doesn't contain a computation similar to you there's no logical update on what it does after you know your own decision i will say my parents are definitely disappointed that only my sister has reproduced 
Yeah, I was going to say on that note, have either of your parents ever pulled the whole I brought you into this world, I can take you out argument? Cause... No, they... they... <laughs> God, there was... They're welcome to try. I don't remember what I saw. Maybe it was a... Uh, it must have been some kind of animated thing. Yes, yes, it was a recent Rick and Morty episode. Of course it was. Yeah, with the I brought you into this world, I can take you out, and Jerry thought that this was like an actual law or something. And both was like, Oh yeah. No. <laughs> I just saw this that. Because I gave birth to someone doesn't mean I can legally kill them. <laughs> well you say that all the time when the kids misbehave. She's like, wait, you actually thought that the... it's not a law. <laughs> He's like, How it's can not... you joke about murdering your children? <laughs> it was it's great beat. Love that show. But um, yeah, yeah. Getting getting back to all this, um, yeah. My parents are are definitely disappointed about that. My my dad really wanted grandchildren and uh, didn't get very many of them. How many would he want? My, my parents have two. I feel like that's plenty. So in theory, you I feel would like want, they retired by having three kids. In theory, so, you would want four grandchildren. In at sure at a minimum, like ideally more than that, but at a minimum, replacement rate would be four grandchildren. I wonder, if you only have two grandchildren, you are weeding yourself out of the population and you are failing. I wonder if you poll humans and ask them, how many grandchildren would you like? Oh, infinite. The thing about grandchildren is you get all the benefits of having a cute, fun kid and none of the costs because you already paid all the costs when you had the original kids. It's, it's like, like having a friend that has a dog. That's that exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're on the same page here. I actually want to Google how many grandchildren do people want because they've probably polled people. And I, I doubt the answer is as many as possible. They pro- I would say they pro- bare minimum of eight. I, I'm curious what the, you know, and I'm sure there's data, maybe we can't find like the best survey during the episode, but I, I'm sure it's out there. Maybe uh, by the time you get to about 20 grandchildren, they start blurring together and you don't care as much, but I would say minimum eight. And it probably depends too on how many kids you had. Maybe there's too many variability, like variables with the kinds of people, you know, like my wife's a single child. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're from a, you know, a Catholic family that has 11 kids, they probably want a minimum, minimum of what, 50 grandkids right so like that's there's probably going to be variability based on like what kind of person you are slash parent you were right yeah huh. well what does it say um i'm not finding anything maybe i just need to mess with my search terms this is like bad audio though i did find though that the average number of grandchildren is five to six okay and because of divorce and remarriage many children have six to eight adults in the grandparent role in their lives interesting so it's so going by, I guess, like revealed preference, five to six. Damn. Okay. Is that worldwide? I'm assuming. Uh, let's see. This is from the legacyproject.org, which doesn't say. Oh, it's American. Oh, okay. But probably not representative. Americans are weird. Yeah. Huh. Well, I mean, there's cool stuff on here, but uh, that's you know. We're going down into a rabbit hole. It's the wrong one. For what it's worth, my original answer was that I am more concerned with my memes than my genes because I want people who are like me intellectually, who think like me, who believe like me. And so uh, I would rather spend energy passing those on rather than my genes because I, at the time, saw my parents and I saw me and I saw how different we (laughs) were. And I assumed that they were very disappointed by how much I'm not like them and I don't want what they want. And, uh, and honestly, I, that was a major motivation for not having kids of my own. I'm like, God, I saw what my parents got when they had four kids. I don't want to get that same kind of deal where I spend all this energy and money and life and sweat and worry making kids. And then they're like these things that are so alien for me that I don't even want to spend much time with them. <laughs> That's why you have one. So you can just dedicate full time to indoctrinating that one. Eh, I don't know. 
I found Inyash sub uh, 2010's answers. Okay. I would zero box so that I could so that I could exist twice. <laughs> <laughs> I did say that. Similar to my answer, if just if somebody comes to you holding two boxes, nope the fuck out of there. <laughs> Actually, in seriousness, I consider people who are mimetically similar but genetically dissimilar to me to be closer to me than those who are genetically similar but mimetically dissimilar. You're the point you just remembered making from Very 11 consistent. years ago. All right. Yeah. So to rather increase my mimetic reproduction at the cost of genetic reproduction. Yeah. Nail it. Um, I, I think that... And that actually makes sense. Like, the parts of me I care about aren't the parts of me that my genes quote-unquote care about, mm-hmm. right? I, I want people to have my um, dispositions and attitudes towards whatever, nature, each other, whatever, um, I was, more than I care about, like, if, if I could give everyone, like, one salient meme from my mind, and if I could do that, or give everyone a gene from mm-hmm. me it's th- it's not even a trade-off no right? it's not yeah but you don't give your kids one gene from you you give them half and the other half of their genes are from someone you have selected that you know have a lot of genes you like anyway i i mean this this was that was my answer and still the answer i desperately cling to now uh when i was in my early mid-20s um but now i, I first of all i've been exposed to a lot of both research and writing about how much genes matter and how little um, mimetic influence matters. Specifically, Brian Kaplan wrote that whole thing about mm. how your children turn out really doesn't matter all that much as to what you do with them. They're going to turn out. They're going to turn out as long as you don't like neglect or abuse them. I find that really weird. Um, I, I I think that there must be something off in the research that shows that parenting basically doesn't matter. It clearly well, must as long as you don't extent. neglect or abuse them. Yeah, I don't know. It, I I, st- I still feel like I knew kids in school who were savants, not, not quite savants, that, that, that would be like, you know, they would succeed no matter what. They were geniuses, and they had nurturing home environments. I feel like if their home environments were um, just basic, you know, they, they, weren't, they weren't abused, they, they weren't neglected, but neither did they have, you know, um, a science fiction collection or um, educational games or whatever. Mm-hmm. If at home all they did was just like watch cartoons like I did, mm-hmm. um, I feel like they would have succeeded less, but that could just be my intuition. Yeah. Um, like before the, I don't know what early modern era, the, the before the fifties or so, all kids were raised like that. Right. The parents were just kind of like run outside, do your thing. And yet we still had, <laughs> work in this factory. yeah, we still had Einstein's and von Neumann's and shit. Yeah. And I think maybe that my intuition is wrong. There is just, or my, my intuition there could just be wrong. And that's just why this research is surprising. Mm. Um, you know, I think there's something, you know, there's always headlines. Oh, parents who read to their kids the kids turn out way better but it's like that's just because the kind of parents who spend time reading with their kids really passed on the good reading genes yeah well, well or they just they they have more time to dedicate to their kids that seems to imply that parenting does something okay right i like i, I don't I, know I, like the difference to be between like a kid succeeding and not isn't whether or not you read them harry potter yeah. right one chapter a night for several years it's, it's whether you're the kind of person who would do that which probably is a lot determined by your genes maybe Maybe. I don't know. I mean, my, my sister's a different kind of parent than my parents were. Yeah. So far. Yeah. She's got, you know, 15 it's, years to go before first one's 18. So I think my sister is radically different from all the rest of us. So she's like the worst example because she's the only one that's reproducing, but she's also the one that is like the most different. So that sucks. Like I have become more and more convinced that actually my parents' upbringing me didn't seem to matter that much because it turned out my dad was a secret atheist all along, <laughs> which fucking blew my mind when i found that out and i was like really and all 
all that indoctrination and you didn't want it to happen and somehow it managed to not happen and like just seeing how much I've become similar to them despite the fact that I you know found myself very dissimilar to them and really not liking them at all in my early years I like I'm like God, are these genes just like slowly taking me over <laughs> is everything they said about genes correct <laughs> I seems suspect. like a chicken and egg problem, kind of. Fucking chickens. Are all of your siblings also atheists? Uh, except for my sister. <laughs> the outlier. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, my sample the size is too... The one that's reproducing. My sample size is too skewed. Or my sample... Like, I've got my sister, who's a, basically two years older, and then my clone and I. Mm-hmm. So we don't... We're not... Uh, our, our, our data's weird anyway, so... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It'd be interesting to be able to run experiments where like my brother and I each had one kid and see how those kids turn out, especially if like they never met. Like we just, we, we pre-commit to like not seeing each other for 30 years, go off, have families and then let our kids meet and see if they like, if they both saw, I don't know, Avengers 15 on opening weekend. Right. <laughs> Natural versions of this experiment have been done where, mm-hmm. you know, like two twins were adopted by different parents and never knew that they shared the same parents and then like found each other years later and i think actually they did have quite similar outcomes a lot of the time i definitely saw the things because i've i've i enjoyed following this research back when i had ready or access to it because i've since i've been a baby i've participated in twin studies longitudinal ones where we're in the group where we were raised in similar environments and identical twins um fraternal twins are another good data set data point for this but I feel like all the ones that I saw that were like documentary style things or like made it into the paragraphs in my psych books, I feel like they wouldn't put the the boring cases in there. They put the fun ones, mm. right? Yeah. The fun ones is like, look. They put the representative ones of the data. Well, okay. That's I'm, assuming that they're doing good science journalism. I was right. going to say, I would like to believe that, but I don't, I, I'm sus about that. My, I'm thinking like, okay, yeah. So you, you showed me the example that, wow, they were both wearing blue shirts when they happened to meet the same day and they both married blondes. Like weird, right? And, you know. <laughs> Both had leather straps on their watches rather than, you know, uh, metal or cloth or whatever. Like, you know, it. I can't believe your genes dictate what kind of watch strap you would enjoy, right? And I'm right. using that as a hyperbole example, but um, the blondes and I think the shirt color was one example that did happen. The blonde wives, I mean. But, <laughs> you know, I don't know what color their mom's hair was, right? Maybe their mom was blonde. I don't know. Maybe even the adopted mom if they were separated at birth. It, it's who not knows? really that hard to imagine that liking blondes might be something that's at least somewhat genetically disposed plus there's like what four or five hair colors like i think that it's not that unusual forget two people with blonde i think all humans tend to prefer blondes because in the ancestral environment it was really rare i disagree because i don't prefer blondes so there. <laughs> i was just gonna make it i am a human i, was say, I, I average, prefer women who are into me <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. oh you like me well what color is your hair great that, that's less important <laughs> yeah i mean you did say all humans so well I, yeah i meant on average uh, ah. And also, I'm being like tongue in cheek here. Okay. So, uh, gentlemen prefer blondes. Wasn't that was a Marilyn Monroe movie? I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's God. I I hate that because just smacks of such like shitty propaganda. Well, the thing that like, I always find really funny blondes, about you know? it is that it's this rare gene that everybody dyes their hair blonde to try to so like it, <laughs> so we're just like increasing the amount of blondes. It's not even all that rare, is it? Ah, uh, in. Naturally, yeah, especially because like a lot of kids born blonde, their hair darkens over time. I was born blonde. My hair is now blue. Really? It's not naturally blue. It's naturally <laughs> right. sort of like the same color as Stevens, actually. Kind yeah. of a like Auburn. dirty blonde. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Actually, my mom insisted on calling it dishwater blonde. Because I used to say it's jerk. gray. And I was just like, I was like, no, how is how is dishwater blonde better than gray? It's gray. Yeah, yeah. Gray is a like neutral word. That just sounds like it's got bacteria in it or something. Right? Dishwater is something you throw out and try to keep the baby from going out of it. <laughs> so the um the part two opens with a couple of examples that um, which part two? Of the um uh you are inside Newcomb's pro- Newcomb's okay. box. And so these, these I think, fell flat for me because they're just bad answers. So, all right, question. Why does a knife have a handle? Answer. This allows you to grasp it without cutting yourself. That is the correct answer. Right, but he says that's like an a-causal answer that is like, you know, uh, speaking backwards from the present. I mean, and the way like, he puts it, it sounds like he's saying knives reproduce, which they don't. Yeah, knives didn't, like, evolve or anything. They're, they're not rocks. Humans yeah. made them. Yeah. He says, these kinds of answers are highly compelling, but strictly speaking, they're allowing events in the future to influence events in the past. And I'm like, I strongly disagree. Well, you forgot I mean, about the you, You've completely lost me. I think events in the future can um, influence events in the past when the person in the past is a human thinking about the future right I, I, I i'm imagining make a cutting the utensil without cutting myself so that and that's that actually works great good point that's like nick cage and next it's like <laughs> all right so i'm gonna i'm gonna make a knife and i'm gonna cut dinner with it okay well if i make it all one blade i imagine it very easily ruining my life so i'm gonna make a i'm gonna make a dull part that i can hold on to perfect you know so, so the the but that that all happens before the future you imagine a possible outcome and change your behavior or your invention or you do, in fact, you know, as a hunter-gatherer, smash a, um, shoot, a flint stone, you get a nice sharp edge, and you're like, yeah, this will be really good for, you know, skin and deer, and then you immediately pick it up and cut yourself, and you're like, shit. God damn it. I'm too much like a deer. It's like I need to put something around this. <laughs> the, the second question is less about, maybe, because it doesn't involve foresight, um, why do I have eyebrows? Mm. And the answer that, that the author gives, eyebrows help keep rain and sweat from running down your forehead and getting into your eyes. And I think this is a qualitatively different question than why do knives have handles? Because knives were created with foresight, whereas eyebrows were like the creatures that had eyebrows had less sweat getting in their eyes and therefore reproduced more often. Because eyebrows evolved. Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. knives didn't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not. And it was, I mean, just to, as long as we're in absurd land here, like imagine a universe in which knives did evolve, and <laughs> the the selectors are people who use them mm. right so their fitness is determined by how good at they are being knives symbiotic we, sentient we, knives we, we would select <laughs> the ones that didn't cut us when we use them we'd select the ones with, with like duller and duller parts of it until you get a nice comfy comfortable grip wooden handle right well i mean that does kind of go back to um imagine a world where humans did evolve the ones that reproduced more often would be the ones to evolve yeah to, to show up in the future that that's what happened yeah yeah i just so I, I don't you'd like to show up in the future i guess doesn't particularly make a lot of sense so that that's the th- that's exactly the same sort of like not worried about it that i have with prometheus killing because prometheus explicitly won't kill me if i take both boxes yeah. evolution won't wipe me out from the timeline if i uh if i don't have kids so right? it was around this time back when i was you know having my deep thoughts and maybe drinking too much uh, that, those, that, two, those two things might have been related maybe, maybe I mean you can do one without the other and most people do <laughs> whether you do one or the other is up to you but um, I, where I kind of had this idea and I'm still not sure how strongly I feel about it that there's I don't know not that many people in the world there's maybe a hundred people maybe a thousand at most and everyone is just slight variations on those people and like you have your own consciousness like you don't share consciousness or memories or anything but like 
an AI that was trying to categorize people might be like, okay, there's roughly a thousand people in the world and everyone is just a slightly modified instantiation of one of those 1,000 people. Like and cars. Yeah, yeah. And in that case, you know, I would like there to be a lot more of me in the world, even if I don't share memories or experiences with other me's. Um, I think that would be a good thing. I think it would too, because it seems like you get along with yourself, so we'd probably have a less strife-filled world if there were just more Ash clones running around. But like, oh, yeah. my, I sort You of... heard it, future people. Have more of me around. Mm-hmm. I also... Unfreeze me and clone me. <laughs> preferentially uh i sort of though kind of fall back on the same thing of i don't think i'm that important like i mean obviously i think i'm kind of cool but i also think other people are cool and like diversity is good so shrug i don't know that's why i don't care that much about that i don't know what the word important there is doing uh because like i think you're important uh, by which i mean like i i feel like that there should be more me like people in the future preferential to other types of people i think that if i got to pick among like this this thousand line distribution or whatever you know all the all the prototype prototypical humans i'd pick more like you than i'd pick some other brand other brands right i guess would you like to exist preferentially yeah like, if there's uh, only like a thousand people with I'm variations then maybe in another few thousand years basically someone identical to you could exist again and that maybe. would be that would be pretty cool right Maybe, I don't know, or maybe somebody else would exist and they'd be cool too. Well, yeah, but if that some, somebody else was almost identical to you because of there only being like a thousand basic templates, then you're selecting to have more of you in the future by reproducing more. I think there's not only a few basic templates. People seem to actually be quite different from each other in a lot of important ways. No. Yeah, I, I like where, you're, where that kind of thought pump is coming from, but I don't know how closely it maps. Like, it, it's the kind of thing where if you zoom out, yeah, there's there's like... And not just like in physical distance, but like on how much abstract the person. Yeah, you know, how many, if I'm going to pick the top 10 things about the person, like the, um, how you can see your values and your soul and worth the candle. Mm-hmm. It could be that most people have, or maybe there's, you know, there's, there's a strong concentration of what people put in their top 10 values. And maybe maybe that's just distributed across different species. So, you know, maybe the, the Tung have these top 10 more or less on average than the dwarves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, if you do that for humans, that could be the case. But I'm with Jace that the the, the other 10,000 values people have will, will vary too much and make a unique, you know, person. I think it's important for our success as a species that we have that uh, diversity too. Like, there's a bunch of weird nerds who obsessed about one thing their entire lives and that's why we have like discovered most of the elements that we have or you know yeah uh standing on the shoulders of giants is how sort of we've got to where we are now and if we were all more similar to each other all giant nerds they were indeed and and then also you know like awesome like barbarian warriors and whatnot like yeah they didn't contribute much you need all types. They kept they kept the giant nerds safe, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Usually they, they enslaved the giant nerds and took their stuff. <laughs> Fuck jocks. <laughs> was there a part three to this? Uh, no, that was that thing? was it. I mean, the part three was the Azathoth, switching out Azathoth for Prometheus. Okay. Which is where I think it falls apart. Yeah. I do think that... There was the anticipated if, response. Sorry, is that what you were just talking about? No, although we should get into that. I, I was going to quickly say that I do think like memes mean a lot, even if there was basically an identical me that lived a thousand years ago. His mimetic, you know, milieu, the mimetic environment he grew up in is a big deal. So I also like to keep memes going. And I think that's part of the reason we do this podcast to, you know, keep the rationality memes out there and hopefully spreading to more people. I think people have 
a many people have a desire to just um broadcast their thoughts um because it makes other people more like you if you can convince them that your thoughts are good and they should cooperate with you, the right? Hold my works, ye mighty. Yeah, some, well, something like that. that but and just it, like, you know, let's be more like each other and cooperate. None and, of his works slick survived, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. that was the thing. It that was like, behold my works, and it was just like a slab, and then there was sort of like a blasted desert escape, and it's like, whoops. <laughs> I bet they were really great, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the other, the other aspect is like, I don't know, maybe you find people that will share your interest or something, but... Since I started doing this podcast like five years ago, I haven't touched Facebook, mm. right? I, I haven't tweeted. Mm-hmm. This this is this outlet every other week is is satisfies my itch completely to like shoot my ideas out there. So I scream my ideas to the internet tw- two hours a w- <laughs> two hours every two weeks, mm-hmm. and that satisfies it. So I have no compulsion whatsoever to like comment <laughs> shoot your on Reddit semen out there as well. The <laughs> <laughs> well, thing that's been really fun is the uh, really fun kind of in scare quotes like sort of mean it and sort of it's a bit weird but when people like a friend from japan visited a couple of times denver and uh they I, they knew phoenix from the bayesian conspiracy uh, not the the university of bays mm. um shout out to raj who i'm sure actually i think i asked whether it was okay if i use your name uh but like came to japan we hung out and it was like the kind of person who is in university of bays is probably the kind of person who like bayesian conspiracy who, who i get along with I do actually want to have kids still, but, like, it's just not been the right circumstances yet. Mm. And so, like, I kind of want the CRISPR babies to be a thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, the weird sort of, like, I don't know, the calculus of the window of fertility is closing. I'm about to be 35. Uh, but then also maybe medical science will get good and, like... And then maybe also we can have artificial wombs so I don't have to deal with the whole carrying thing and then it becoming a weird brain parasite, which I kind of... I like, I mean, love. I really love the whole artificial wombs thing, but I also like worry about what the... I even C-sections kind of mess kids up. They're like... Oh, yeah? Uh, immunity is worse because they don't travel through oh. the vagina, which has all the like gut flora the, or the vagina flora that get passed. They're supposed to get passed on to the baby. Okay. I, I worry but... more about like the, the whole emotional bonding connection thing. I think that's one of the reasons that like moms just tend to have a deeper emotional <laughs> connection than... than Dad's um, also the same reason that I didn't think it would be a great idea for Amaryllis to be under a blanket for nine months. Sort of imagining, like, the artificial womb is just, like, this sack that you put a strap on and kind of carry around, like, a laptop bag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you could still, like, you know, play baby Einstein videos to it or whatever. But, like... They kind of yeah, have that know. in the game Death Stranding. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't quite get what the mechanic was there. I never played that game because it looked terrible. Like, it, the, the, the trailers and, like, the promo- promotion for the game looked amazing. Mm-hmm. It was, like, Norman Reedus... Mo- mocap and um it looked surreal and weird and then the entire thing was just like this weird fedex thing where you're just carrying a bunch of like janky boxes that don't stack well <laughs> and it turned out to be like virtually unplayable also isn't like a big part of human bonding going through shitty ass experiences with each other like that's one of the reasons army guys are so close together like going i've heard pregnancy sucks shit and and nobody wants to go through that but then you like form this bond with the thing that you went through a lot of shit through i don't but i kind of do i think katrina said the same thing on the podcast way back in the day where i really want to get her on for the podcast for a pregnancy episode oh i think you did one already but like you could see if she's still consistent after however many years no no no, i want to get one for because she was never on after she got pregnant oh yeah it wasn't all it was cracked up to be like sort of that's almost one of the reasons i went on hormones Mm -hmm. though it's just like bodies can do cool stuff i kind of want to do weird experiments on myself I'm just saying, if you want to have kids, you should definitely, like, get as close physically to Arnold Schwarzenegger as you can, <laughs> because there was that movie where he had a baby. Oh, yeah, that turned out really good, right? <laughs> All right, so anything else on this before we move on to IQ Shredder? I had fun with it. 
I, I it was it was you know mental to me mental masturbation is not a pejorative yeah yeah so i like masturbating all kinds of ways that's right i do kind of want to read the anticipated responses real quick though at the end sure where i can let me see if i can summarize uh we're not in the ancestral environment so there's no logical entanglement between my actions and my existence uh to which the person says well we are in the environment of some of our ancestors (laughs) evolution hasn't stopped no no no. we're in the ancestral environment of our descendants right um well yeah i mean not not our descendants wait what no, I think I think Jay's quoted it correctly, but what you're saying makes more sense. So it's like we are in the, we are in we are in a ancestral environment, right? Yeah, okay. but that's not that's not what they that's the not what we're saying. Yeah. Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, yeah, it was like my ancestors weren't exposed to the same memes, which they say can be defeated by adding, uh, your ancestors could have thought themselves out of having children. Anti-reproduction memes have existed throughout history. There's probably always been a tension between kin selection and morality. Uh, the next point was. My favorite. This is a decision theoretic basilisk. In the unlikely event that it's right, I'm worse off for having read it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which, to which they say, well, only if you're thinking causally. In which case, this whole idea is meaningless. Don't. And then, uh, Azathoth doesn't really exist. You can't trade with a non-sapient phenomenon. And uh, I think that was directly brought up. Yeah. Replace the sapient opponent with a non-sapient phenomenon in any of our thought experiments. Do you refuse to negotiate with physical laws? Then if you're so smart, why ain't you rich? <laughs> and I mean, finally, okay. so how exactly are you urging me to behave? I want you to refute this essay! Mm-hmm. Exclamation point. Uh, lol. Well, I'm not sure we refuted it, but we tried. I think I mostly did. Okay. I, I, I don't, don't know if I did feel, it well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I Maybe don't. we dissolved it rather than refuted it? Yeah, you know, like, um, Peter Singer's 1975 Sorry. essay, Famine, Affluence, and Morality... People, I think, have a strong compulsion to refute that because it basically says you should give until you're like living at poverty levels. Yeah, and I don't think that's sustainable. Well, a yeah, so that's not sustainable. So uh, that's one refutation. But even so, you take the weaker version, which is you should give plenty of money. Um, people like I guess what I'm saying is that I didn't refute that, so I so I do donate money, right? Mm-hmm. This one, I I I don't know if I had to refute it. I just wasn't sold on it. So like I bought Singer's argument and was compelled by it. This one, there's nothing, there's nothing for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. If, if, if I, at least not the way it's presented. Yeah. If if it was trying to convince me of something, it would be that I should have kids. Yeah. Maybe it was trying to convince you to refute, um, to refute it. (laughs) Well, to refute it and to why a causal trading might not always make sense. Yeah. 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 Well, speaking of things that don't make sense, I uh, want you to help help me understand the next post. See, I think this next one makes a lot more sense and actually makes a good case for why people who listen to this podcast should have lots of kids. Okay. Okay. So this next one is the IQ Shredder, which is a concept that's been around for, I don't know, a number of years, I think. Uh, It first was uh, articulated as a post that was a comment to something about uh, Singapore. Uh, And I think Singapore is probably the strongest individual example of an iq shredder so that's what we're going to use but i think it can apply to various places in the u.s as well in a less extreme form anyways what is an iq shredder an iq shredder is a place uh that has a level of civilization and social order that's really attractive to talented and competent people uh in in common parlance perhaps uh high iq people want to go to these places because they provide them a great uh life that they can have by using their iq in things that that place wants to use their iq for such as you know intellectually demanding jobs yeah i would say like a conscientious 
high IQ people. I think that's what they were getting at with talent. Yeah. I, I know lots of dysfunctional high IQ people. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I am one, you might say. <laughs> uh, this place also has an immigration policy that is unapologetically selective i.e. first order eugenic, meaning that it primarily admits high IQ people and keeps out, uh, tries to keep out people without the high IQ or, you know, like, like you were saying, uh, talented and competent people who, who have a lot of, uh, smart, hardworking folk. Yes. Conscientious. Don't have lots of vices. Right. Singapore is weird about things like chewing gum. Yeah. So they, these are places that are very attractive to, uh, to these people and, uh, who, preferentially let in those much more than uh, people who don't have those traits. And finally, these places are ones that cause people to have reproductive rates well below replacement levels. Uh, replacement level for reproduction is two children per, I mean, technically two children per couple, but that's kind of weird and hard to measure, especially because couples change over time. So basically it's two children per women is the normal reproductive rate. Uh, Singapore has a reproductive rate of 0.78 children per women, which is way below uh, reproduction. It basically means every generation you lose more than half your population as soon you stop existing. Uh, but Singapore does not actually lose more than half its population every generation. It, it keeps it steals talent from elsewhere. Exactly. It keeps importing high IQ Chinese and Indian people who uh, maybe would have had a lot more children in the places they came from. But now that they're in Singapore, have almost none. And so the effect of this is to draw in high IQ from their, its surroundings and then have those high IQ individuals not reproduce, uh, resulting in a overall lowering of the IQ for the population over time. Thus the term IQ shredder. It makes your area dumber. But that doesn't seem to be what's happening. I, I guess maybe, maybe, I, maybe I spaced for a second. Uh, you use New Zealand or Netherlands as the country that... Singapore, Singapore sir. Singapore. <laughs> those other countries, I think, are sort of the opposite of IQ, IQ shredders. I'm... All right, so because Singapore is a single island nation that is one big city. Okay, so Singapore has low reproductive rate. Yes, but high IQ people and jobs and yes. output. They keep that sustain. They sustain that by importing high IQ people. Yes, it has very high standard of living, which is what in, um, attracts people who can you know work in a city and use their high IQ to get that great standard of living. I think it's also important that they have very strict laws and conservative social norms. Hmm. So I guess I'm just not I'm not clear how they're an IQ shredder. They seem to be an IQ magnet. Well, well they're, yes, they're, that's they're, the point. Yeah. The IQ gets pulled into the city and then it does not reproduce. So, okay, so when I picture IQ shredder, I picture IQ going down. It does. It causes IQ to go down in the area. But like, you're but you're bringing mass. in the average. You're you're bringing in people to raise the average. No, no, no. You bring in high IQ people to I guess yes, locally increase the average maybe, but they don't reproduce. So all the high IQ genes get weeded out of the population. But if you keep bringing them in. Yeah. And you keep bringing them in. They keep not reproducing. You think there's an infinite amount of high IQ people in the general population? As long as the rest of the population keeps reproducing, they'll they'll <laughs> randomly keep producing some variant of high IQ people. The rest of the population will keep reproducing. And there will be some, yeah, genetic anomalies that causes IQ, some, to, some kids to have an IQ spike. But... Uh, that now is the problem. That is not infinitely sustainable. The world yes. could not be Singapore. If you right, <laughs> if you want to have more high IQ people, it's best to have your high IQ people reproduce because they are much more likely to have high IQ children. It seems like one could spread their IQ uh, more efficiently than having a handful of children. Does it? 
Yeah. How? Uh, if there's a genetic component, which there probably is, I think it's it's not too challenging to say. I could donate a bunch of sp- if I had an IHQ that people wanted to have, I could just donate sperm. Okay. Right? Well, <laughs> I, I, I could in theory inseminate many more women than I could ever sire those children. Do you think there's that many women out there that are looking to have lots of children with IHQ um, people that they aren't in relationships with? Not necessarily, but there are people. As long as anyone's using the sperm from the sperm banks, you know, may, maybe you just call that. To the high question IQ isn't like that. There's anyone doing it. There's obviously going to be some people who are average intellects who have genius children. You know, just because that's how uh, genetics works. There's there's the random freak variations. The problem is that uh, on average, it's still going to go down unless there's a lot of women doing a lot of that. Uh, the the average IQ is going to keep dropping as the high IQ people get weeded out of the population. It's like if you were to take a city that you only allow tall people into, and you have to be like above the Netherlands. <laughs> just kidding. That's just the ge- genetic. You have to, yeah, you have to be over six feet tall to get into the city. But if you do get into the city, you get a great lifestyle because that height is used for basketball playing and lots of other, you know, things that get you a lot of money and great lifestyle for being tall. Yeah, ever, you, you could have a house that has like more vertical space in it. So it takes up less surface area. Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. But uh, once you get in the city, you have on average um, 0.8 children per couple. Uh, so... You have a whole country around you. Anyone who has children that happen to be over six feet tall move to the city, and those children don't reproduce. And used to have a large smattering of different height people out in the country, and tall people would sometimes reproduce with short people and have average-sized kids. Sometimes average people would have some short kids and some tall kids. But the more often tall people got with other tall people, the more tall people there would be out there because tall people tend to have other tall kids. Now all the tall people are slowly migrating to the city and not having kids, so the general height of the population keeps shrinking as the tall people remove themselves from the breeding population. I suppose this isn't really a problem as long as it stays small, right? <laughs> no, no, I mean it. Because like uh, Singapore can't import, just because they're not big enough, all of the world's high IQ or tall people, however we want to phrase it, right? Do you want to know why this post was made originally? Because uh, the the leader of Singapore, Yan Q something, God, I don't remember now, uh, was commenting about Japan and saying that Japan does not allow basically any immigration. They're very xenophobic and their population keeps dropping. That's a major problem for them. He's like, why don't you implement the same policy we have? That would be great. Japan has like over 100 million people in it. If they want to keep their population from having every generation, they got to import a ton of people. You know why they're not doing that? mainly xenophobia i believe right oh well yeah but i mean also like because they're just gonna replace everybody with robots oh well i mean yeah they're trying to do that too they're already getting pretty good at it there's some scary like customer service robots that i've seen recently and uh caring for the elderly robots because lol aging populations and not enough people to replace them yeah the government's desperately paying people to reproduce but the (laughs) the original post was like japan you know sure sure, singapore's great singapore has a couple million people japan has over a hundred million how many high iq people are there in china and india that you can import like you're going to completely denude the asian continent of of high iq people as they move to japan and then stop reproducing and um and pulling it out to the u.s at this point uh for the past decade or so uh, i know we've seen this specifically because we live in denver we keep getting a lot of people moving to denver uh they're moving from often from rural areas I know when I had a house, we had an extra room and we would rent it out to people for, you know, six to 12 months at a time. And of the people we rented out to, about three-fourths of them were people who were moving from uh, 
residential area rural areas they didn't have a lot of money because jobs pay for shit so they could only rent out one room uh but then they would come here they were smart they were driven they got jobs and uh then they would move out after six to twelve months and get their own place now that they have good paying jobs where they can afford them uh but we were contributing to that problem because again denver metropolitan area the denser a city is the lower the reproduction rates are in the u.s it's not nearly as bad here suburbs help the problem a bit do but they really though suburbs are kind of a little bit uh, it's make, not as bad as singapore they make uh, other problems well, okay yeah yeah it's not as bad as singapore is what i would yeah. say so it won't you happen will not as go fast. to jail here for spitting out gum on a sidewalk well i'm our i don't know if that's still a thing. is is above 0.78 but yeah the thing is like the the smart people from rural areas are being drawn into our cities in america and in our cities our reproduction rate is less than two uh two children per woman so again we're having on a slower scale uh it's it's not happening as fast as it does in singapore but we're we're drawing in the smarts and then we're killing the smarts off (laughs) smarts (laughs) hmm i mean we know what's his name um I guess I would use his less... You realize I'm one of the people. Uh-huh. I, like, I literally came and slept on your couch uh-huh. and then drove around and was like, wow, people let me go in traffic. Yeah. And, like, there's lots of dogs. Zeke is Mountains one of those cool. people. Zeke comes from, like, a tiny-ass hick town. He got... Uh, his own... His own words. Uh, he got out of there as fast as he fucking could because he's smart and he's driven. He went to college. He now has a great life here in Colorado Springs where uh, he gets paid a lot and does tech stuff and enjoys, you know, his living. But also, I'm assuming, not going to have more than one kid. Possibly zero kids. So, what the other solution here could be... Which means that his town is now got less smart because he left it in the local example of your renting out a room mm-hmm. you could say we'll only rent out to people who are having kids that's stupid it is but that would all that, that but at large scale that's what uh, singapore could do you can come here but you have to reproduce it's not working for well i guess yeah uh, maybe if you preferentially just import people who are pronatalist or already have kids but or like, already pregnant japan is the, the government of japan is like sort of desperately trying to get people to reproduce there's articles and at the same time make, like encouraging that they work 70 hour work weeks yeah and, it's yeah, the, the reason people aren't reproducing is because they're all depressed <laughs> and there's frequent articles why aren't japanese youth having sex anymore yeah yeah and it's like because you make me go to work for 10 hours a day and then go out to work for the social the mandatory socialization for six more hours mm-hmm. like when am i supposed to be doing all my fucking i mean right? i i think that that is but but a part of it there uh, we we don't have that problem in the u.s and yet we also do not have children the u.s has an above uh reprodu- or replacement rate reproduction only because we have a liberal immigration policy uh if it was just um u.s citizens who were born in the, within the u.s borders it would be below replacement rates oh that's right yeah it's, yeah we allow a lot of people from other countries who tend to have you know bigger families and um and they will keep that going for a generation or two and then as they get more americanized their children have less and less children like my parents came from Poland, a uh, more traditional society, uh, and they had four kids. But we've become very Americanized, and out of the four kids they have, they've only got two grandchildren right now. So two quick and things. It looks like they will only ever have two grandchildren. So one, my answer about like just forcing your roommates to get pregnant is obviously That's was, terrible. was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> so don't at me on that one. But the, uh, this seems to. The logic of this seems to suggest that we would have less people now than we did two centuries ago. Uh, 
it's not a thing that's been going on for two centuries and also not necessarily less people, just less uh, high IQ people on average. I, it's only been going on, I think, for a couple decades, maybe three at most. Starting sort of with the industrial industrialization and then even more specifically with um, a knowledge-based economy as opposed to just, you know, like uh, people working in factories or office I, workers. I think knowledge-based economy is part of it. I think the fact that it's a lot more expensive to have children now is a large part of it. I think a big part of it is just so uh, society, like how much we value children versus the other things we can do with our time. Like, I think there's a lot of reasons. Yeah, I don't see this being a continual problem. Oh, really? I it guess... feels to me like it is also the kind of thing that will be self-correcting, but uh, like curious to hear you... whether you're going to say the same thing I was going to say, Steve. <laughs> Probably. Something along those lines. Like, I just imagine that if in 2100 we're down to 5 billion people okay. because people just aren't reproducing because it's too expensive for, you know, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. The I mean, population is... Um, projected to stabilize at about 10 billion for actually that reason as more people get rich the reproduction rates keep getting lower and it'll that's the estimate right now that it'll it'll start slowing down and stop at about 10 billion or so well that sounds like a sustainable number that's not so bad other, <laughs> no i mean it like the, the other thing too is that if we even if we have lower iq on average per human population density we will have more high iq people on the planet oh because totally. there's more people okay yeah perhaps so like they you know, whatever problems we need high IQ people to solve. Well, you know, we're not going to have that many high IQ people for that long if we keep shredding them, right? So, may I interject? Please. Um, few things. Uh, the Flynn effect is apparently still in effect. Uh, it seems like a lot of the, uh, hang on, let me find a definition. Of the Flynn effect? It's just the tendency of IQs to go up over time. Yeah, right? secular increase in population intelligence quotient. Yes. Uh, uh, the uh, Let's see, intelligence typically increases around three IQ points per decade. And uh, so it seems like what has to do with this is a combination of factors like just better nutrition, uh, better, you know, science-based medicine, mm -hmm. um, better economic, uh, yeah. yeah. Better education as well. And yeah, uh sort of crystallized knowledge also mm -hmm. plays into IQ as well as better utilization of the internet. Yeah. The internet to serve as a brain proxy. So like, but let's so sort of in general, the population, if these trends continue and we don't like, uh, global warm ourselves to death or nuclear war or zombie apocalypse or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, it seems like that's one way it could be self-correcting. The other way is that, we're just getting a lot better at brain science, and it seems like nootropics will get good enough that we can raise the, not sanity, but... Uh, intelligence waterline by pumping water it into the, into the water supply? Yeah. 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 I think that's, that's a really good point. <laughs> um, you know, if, if right now, making up numbers, we have X percentage of the population that is one standard deviation above, uh, or two, you know, whatever, two standard deviations above the average score of 100, right? Mm -hmm. If in a century or two, we only have... Uh, you know, there's fewer people that are 2x or 2 standard deviation above the average, but we have way more people at uh, one and a half standard deviations above. Mm -hmm. It still seems like we've got a, a solution. And that, that problem could be solved not through just genetics, but through the other factors, right? Better education, um, better tools, uh, that I, sort of thing. I strongly disagree. In, in not that I don't think it's great to have more people one and a half standard deviations uh, above that and to keep raising the average, those are both great things, and I hope they both continue for a long time. But I also think that just having uh, 
lots of more smart people is a good thing and that uh, the IQ shredder effect is a very bad thing and we should find some way to encourage high IQ people to have more children because having more IQ in the gene pool is great. I I hear what you're saying. I, I guess those aren't two, um, those, those two projects aren't at, they're not, uh, they're no, not cross purposes. Yeah, no. Yeah, you, you can continue to raise the average IQ of the average person by um, by Flynn affecting and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Just through whatever factors come in there, like nutrition and um, again all the factors. Yeah, you uh, can keep Flynn affecting the population while still IQ shredding the uh, the outliers. <laughs> right, but it I guess it would be better to have a planet with one percent of the people who have an IQ of one forty five, mm-hmm. or a planet where ninety percent of the people have an IQ of one twenty. So. Um, we keep focusing on IQ, but what they were actually referring to with the case of Singapore was like highly intelligent and highly driven people. Mm-hmm. Intelligence or IQ, which is a slightly different thing, yeah. does tend to anti-correlate with, for example, uh, agreeableness. Uh, I find it like kind of interesting, you know, that really all these smart assholes aren't aren't finding mates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, like you know the the. I mean, high IQ also tends to correlate with. Um political liberalism you're more mm-hmm. likely to accept people with greater uh greater distance from your politics yeah i guess i'm saying there's trade-off well first of all we're, we're hyper focusing on iq uh to the exclusion of conscientiousness there is right there are i believe they haven't been um repli- replication crisis studies that show that the best scientists aren't necessarily the smartest ones but just the hardest working okay uh remember methods of rationality harry like being like you know, the hat offered him Hufflepuff, and he was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not good enough for House Hufflepuff. Those are the ones that do all the work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, no, I don't disagree with any of that. I'm just saying that the genes for high IQ are actually really important. I would think it would be great if we would have a lot more Von Neumanns per generation than we actually have. Conscientiousness would be nice, too. Um, Conscientiousness was all... I mean, why not both, right? There's a... Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I wish I had more... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the latter i have like a 130 iq but uh i'm kind of a mess because add and whatnot iq seems to also higher iq seems to correlate with more like brain problems it seems like uh average iq is conserved or at least that's my pet theory hmm. well if if we are taking all the people who are high iq and driven and conscientious and bring them into cities and shredding them out of the population doesn't that have um bad implications for what's going to happen to the global population well, not all of them. So the thing is, you're also selecting for the kind of person that would want to move to Singapore. Mm-hmm. In the article, they mention... Actually, let me find the quote, because it was funny. Um, How many bright Indians and bright Chinese are there, Harry? Says Mr. Lee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Surely they are not infinite. And what will they do in Singapore? Well, engage in the finance and marketing rat race and depress their fertility to 0.78, wasting valuable genes, just so your property prices don't go down. <laughs> yeah. So, like... But, like, you know... The kind of person that wants to live in a very conformist society where, like, people kind of behave like machines. I mean, uh, in the case of Singapore and Japan. Maybe just going to go there anyway or live like that anyway. Sure, in the case of Singapore and Japan, although the people who don't have, you know, enough IQ slash conscientiousness slash drive won't be allowed in there. But, like, what about the cases of uh, Denver? A lot of people like to move to Denver and um, they're they're... That's also not infinitely supportable they because don't need to be property the... prices are nuts here. I can't afford a house. Uh, it's and then like Aurora, you know, like uh, the, the the suburbs that have been cropping up all around Denver because so many people want to live here but can't afford it. Hmm. 
are kind of shitty. So, like, so I mean, some people love suburbs, but uh, I'd really like to do an episode on the book Happy City at some point, which makes a good case for why suburbs are the worst. Awesome. I would like that. Uh, but also, uh, so it selects even stronger for the people who can afford the property prices here, which in our economy means knowledge work, right? It's Generally. not like you can get physical labor to get paid all that much. So uh, the people who are most able to do high value knowledge work are the ones who have the most of that IQ, drive, and conscientiousness combination. They'll be the ones who can afford the best uh, places here and thus be the highest IQ and lowest reproducing ones, again, driving those traits out of the population. I wonder also if um, Denver has, like... Does does Denver have a lower, like, uh, reproduction rate than... I mean, I, I guess cities maybe in generally do than yeah. compared to, like, suburbs and rural areas, but it There's just also, less area to sprawl. There's also a lot of young people here that maybe just haven't reproduced yet it seems like a lot of 20 and 30 somethings primarily are moving here because it's like a young city that's the best time to have children well yeah people people used to have all their children in their late teens and early and and 20s we might just have not counted them all yet uh the age of fertility is like continuing to go up as medical science gets better uh there's in vitro and other cool stuff happening and i I still want to have kids and i'm about to be 35 right you can delay uh childhood or child rearing bearing to later and later but the later you delay it the less likely it is to be successful and also importantly the less likely you are to have more than two kids this just seems like like something two kids is just baseline replacement and i mean are you planning on having at least two i would like exactly two okay maybe more all right that two at least is replacement i know a lot of people don't even want to have that many necessarily i mean are you having planning on having any kids steven no and if we were i would want just one yeah I've already so, sterilized myself, so I mean, I have some sperm on ice because I thought ahead and I was like, maybe smart. thirty years from now I'll have a crazy brain aneurysm and want children. At least I'll have something. Or you'll be able to clone yourself. I remember you were a yeah, fan of that idea. I would like that. I wanted, but, I wanted to suggest the idea, or like, I wanted to ask, like, hey, did you by chance just save some, you know, in, just case. in case? But if you hadn't, I didn't want to, like, you know, be like. You know, you would have had this facepalm moment already, but I don't want to re-facepalm you. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I think you could also now take non-germ uh, cells and make them into germ cells. Like, we know how to do that. You could take a skin cell and make it, it at, at cost. I mean, it's, right. it's very expensive, but... Yeah. Like, I, I, I kind I of just to... don't worry. I, I feel like technology and sort of just the fun effects sort of increasing IQ and then also things like liberalism and changing values to be more of a post-scarcity society will just solve this problem for itself it seems like the kind of thing that if it were a problem would have already happened and maybe like listeners know of historical situations where this did happen so i I, I might be wrong but Mm -hmm. it just seems like you know iq shredders are a thing that seems like they probably should have existed in the past for the same reasons i I don't think it was even technologically possible for them to exist in the past We've only had uh, modern birth control since, what, the late 50s? And it didn't become widespread until the 70s. But and like, even then, we didn't have all the... That is. I think it's a I mean, huge I know, factor. I know it is a factor, but I wonder. Because it, it seems like more, you know... It's the biggest factor because now you can actually choose when to be reproductive or not. And well, I mean, were, I think um, all the social factors and the cost factors also make a big difference. But just the fact that you can decide when you want to have kids is probably the biggest thing because before you didn't have an option but like, like my parents didn't choose how many kids to have they just you know were married is, and kids happened there were such things as like nunneries and monasteries uh, and well, voluntarily sure. celibate people celib- a lot of sure. well a lot of scholars did that in the past 
Yeah, I mean, Newton didn't have any kids. I know. You know, and he could have. Well, but I think he was also a complete piece of, like, he was an asshole, so (laughs) I'm not surprised, but... um, Very disagreeable, I don't don't think that... uh, I don't think Plato had kids. I don't think Aristotle had kids. How Um, did you know? The same records that indicate their existence, I don't think they wrote about having kids. Hmm. I could well be wrong, but at some point, you know, uh, this... I I think, to an extent, IQ Shredders might have been a thing in ancient Athens, but probably to a less, they weren't as efficient shredders. I mean, if anything, I think that up until the recent uh, past, it was the other way around. People who were uh, more intelligent, more productive, tended to have more children because they could afford to. Could be. Yeah. I'm not a, I'm not a uh, scholar of human history. I mean, it's it's complicated. You make make a, you make a compelling point that, you know, it's complicated by the fact that in the past, one of the ways to be productive was to kill people and take their stuff. So, <laughs> and, and as Genghis Khan showed, but... And if you were a dirt farming peasant, you know, you couldn't afford 17 kids. You'd either, like, Well, actually, start I think you could not afford away. 17 kids. One of the reasons people reproduced so heavily in the past was because you needed, like, kids to help work your farm and take Cheap care labor. of you in your old age. I also yeah. had a huge death rate back then. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I have, um... I think I probably said this before, but I looked at a family tree that my aunt had dug up and like one the the like family members who had come over on the not the mayflower the other one the with william penn uh had something like i, I forget the exact number it was more than 10 kids and then like more than half of them died i i was lots yeah. of names crossed out really young on that family tree and that was just the norm I Lots know, of women died in childbirth, too. Yeah, I, I know I already mentioned this on The Mind Killer, but uh, of the Afghanistan population, more than half of them uh, were born and lived under uh, U.S. occupation. They they weren't alive yet back when the Taliban existed. Like, the median age in Afghanistan is 18, and the war's been going on for more than 18 years. That's wild. I know, right? Because other people are dying. Because other people are dying, and they have a high replacement rate, yeah. Well, that sucks. I mean, yes, yes, it does, but that used to be the norm, like average age mm. in in pre-modern in the countries is oh in yeah the late teens there's this like misconception a lot of people have that people didn't live as long in the past because like people lived to the average of like 30 or 40 something but that right. just meant that more people died young yeah I mean, people still could live to 80s and 90s and even 100s just, just uh, was pretty goddamn rare yeah <laughs> well but yeah people lived you know even many of the founders of the u.s back before they knew enough about nature to like wash their fucking hands <laughs> they lived into their 70s and 80s i think franklin died in his 90s but yeah so you're i mean i think if you this I, I need to just look this up i'm sure it's out there so yeah the average lifespan of our ancestors 200 years ago was 30 years all right now control for the ones who lived past three now what was the average lifespan and i'm guessing right. it was like 55 right so i'm that's I just random that's hot right, yeah. but uh Okay, so the solution here seems to be to breed as much as possible, right? Or, or you know, make AIs, and then we'll just have our our mind children replace us. I am, I am a big fan of solving the problem or through animals. An orthogonal path to victory here, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is like the the same thing to many kind of many of the problems that I worry about sometimes. Like, like you know, Singapore seems like it would be a really bad idea because I think they're idea. the shipping capital of the world. So even just like from, you know, totally selfish reasons, like it would be, that would be a bad economy to knock out. That would fuck us over. Wait, who, who said nuke? Who said nuke? I don't know. No, what. I'm just sort <laughs> of like, you know, uh, this strikes me as sort of like, uh, um, somebody is trying to freak out about something that I think, first of all, like probably we haven't 
determined whether this is a real problem that will not just self-correct. I mean, but also, so, what's the solution? <laughs> I think there's a lot of solutions. I think Brian Kaplan is trying to push one of them when he wrote the book. Uh, what was the book he wrote with Zachary uh, Wintersmith? Uh, no, like no, no, no. Reasons to have more kids and not worry about it, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the one where he's the one we talked about earlier, where he said Let that. Let me actually look up the name. So, as, as long <laughs> as you aren't neglectful or abusive, your kids will probably turn out all right. So, have a bunch and don't worry about like putting huge amounts of time and resources into each one uh but, selfish reasons to have more kids there we go uh, hypocrisy being a great parent is less work and more fun than you think yeah. hypocrisy isn't a, a refutation but how many kids does he have uh, if it's less than four i'm calling up. bullshit brian but i think so. he actually is writing about his experience having multiple children yeah and either way like i and that's more just me nitpicking and having fun i mean i um, think one of the answers would be to make uh having children less expensive and yes less uh stressful apparently it is according to this book uh you, there's I mean, this sort of thing that happens to. where huh yeah he's trying to make it less expensive and less stressful but i mean that's that's a societal I thing i think a lot of the costs think. of children is actually just sort of artificial first of all in schooling is cool secondly older sibling or, or older children can take care of the younger children no, no i i agree but that's not the way most people do things because they don't believe they can they don't believe that'll be good for their kids and that is why like, he has four children exactly <laughs> all right and that is why like popularizing a book like that could be good as it shows people you don't have to spend that much on each kid yeah i i that that's one way to go i mean i also think that one avenue towards this correcting a little bit is that i suspect we're in the process now of shaking off this stupid idea that college is necessary for like a successful life outcome mm -hmm. so parents who are putting away one hundred sixty thousand dollars to put their kid through school can not do that not and they'll be, they'll realize like oh having a kid costs me $160,000 less than I thought it was going to over 20 years yeah. yeah I mean not just that not only is it easier for the parents when kids also feel the stress of like I can't have any children until I've gone all the way through school and have a decent job lined up pushing re average reproductive rate in America I think it's out to 26 years now which is almost 10 years more than it used to be the time for having first child. Yeah, I think I'm, I keep following prey to that, actually, where I, the, the parents that I have talked to have said, like, there's actually no such thing as a good time to have a kid. The, the best time is, like, you know, if you think you want to have a kid, just, just do it, because there's never going to be a good time. You, you, you think that, like, oh, I got to wait until, you know, all these things are... But then, like, that's also what's prevented me so far, because I'm like... I don't make enough money yet. Uh, but every single... I don't know if I have a stable enough home life to have a kid in yet. There Apparently are... none of that matters anyway. Parenting does nothing, so... There, but there are bad times to have a kid, though. Yeah, every single... Uh, During a pandemic, for example. Or, single... or when you're 16. Like, you or, know, even or... if that was the case 150 yeah. years ago. Or when you're going to college. Like, I don't think I know of any... Or, or have even heard of uh, any female person who has had a kid in college while trying to complete college and oh, like um, continue person to I do dated it. in college was in her thirties, had a kid who was in her teens. Uh, she had like gotten knocked up young and then like the kid was the, actually really smart and cool. And we would all sort of hang out together and watch Firefly. And right. But would you go to college and plan on having a kid in college with someone else and just like keep doing the college thing? Like that's part of your college. Maybe plan. I'm, I'm kind of insane. I also <laughs> like I've done some strange things that, I, I like doing hard things. In general, that's considered not a thing that you can do in college. Like I kind of read uh, Scott Alexander's My IRB Nightmare and was like, I'm mm. going to get into clinical research. Oh my God, you are nuts. My, yeah, I think you're right. That that's no one's plan. Um, and this is more just like demonstrating your point. But I, well, then again, I only knew like five people in college because I was not a very social person. But I knew one person who had a kid yeah. and uh, went to school. I think she did take a couple years off 
Okay. You know, while the kid was in his infancy, yeah. went to school, finished, and I'm not sure what she's up to these you days. You can do Did the thing of just taking to have the kid. Than... Yeah. No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah. So yeah, it's no one's plan to have a kid while in college. What? Because what a weird plan that would be. There's enough going on in college. And but it's that like... means that the typical plan for anyone who is smart enough to go to college is to delay, uh, delay first pregnancy at least until at least twenty, what, twenty five, twenty four. But that doesn't seem like to be the crux of the problem that they're delaying that's the age. Not the crux of the problem, but that's one of the problems. Like. Pushing, pushing uh, reproduction down to 0.78 takes a lot of levers in a lot of different ways, and that's one of them. Yeah, I mean, well, okay, so real response, then joke response. Um, real response is that it could be that, like, all right, well, I'm, you know, if you're a smart, you know, perfect homo economicus, you could be like, well, if I, if I drop out of high school at age 16 and get a job bagging groceries, I can afford to raise one kid. If I go to college, and again, pretending like college worked, um, and made you more money. I can afford to have three kids if I wait until I'm 26. Mm-hmm. So, like, they would still do better for all those purposes if they waited 10 years, right? Um, Maybe in, in this in this stupid thought experiment, right? Yeah. Um, so it it's not necessarily a a bad thing if you were to wait as long as you had more, but that just seems not to be how things actually work. I mean, one then the joke response was that sounds like Texas is doing the right thing by stopping people from not having kids, right? No, fuck that. <laughs> I know, but okay. I just wanted to to sh- to fan the flames because I guess I'm. I think one of the important things is to reduce the stigma of having kids early. That it's only something that you know the dumb and the low class do. I think it's important to reduce the appearance of that you have to spend a lot of resources to do it. And I also think it would be great if people started taking the um, being of the opinion like. I have high IQ. I have great genes that should be present in the next generation if I want the human race to flourish. Like, people should want to. I know I'm being a complete hypocrite. Of, uh, <laughs> Hypocrisy is not a not an ar- argument nullifier. You're but good. I mean, it, it would be great if like people who are smart realize that that is a very valuable thing and it is good for the human race and they are doing a good altruistic thing by putting more of their genes into the next generation. You know, it does kind of seem like kids have better outcomes when there's more of a village and that there's this common theme of parents wanting to have grandchildren. And so like, yeah, maybe, you know, it's, it would be good to try to promote like, Hey, your kid should have kids while they're still living with their parents. And so they're mm-hmm. not having to, you know, work a job and support themselves. The parents can be there to support the other parents. The grandparents can support the parents. Uh, and then like you can get all the child rearing out of the way and then do all your higher education stuff that you want. Yeah. It seemed actually to be quite freeing for my ex who like had a, a teenage model. kid that was like pretty much taking care of herself at that point. And then she was just going to college at 30 and doing all the other stuff. Interesting. But you're right though. There's a huge stigma against that yeah. where it's like, you know, considered a low class right. thing. You have a kid at 15 and you're finishing high school and your parents are raising your kid. Even that if does... you have a kid at 20, that's considered low class. <laughs> it's maybe probably, yeah probably some but i just i'm picturing just like the because at 20 you could like, be living you, you could even, be living on your own because you could have a real job and you stuff, could right? but at 20 you can't even buy your own alcohol and you're already having a kid well you also can't drink alcohol and give your baby I fetal know. alcoholism syndrome <laughs> i i, I understand but you know that's it's very much a you know kids having kids idea if you're having a child at 20 and emotional that you be maturity more is kind of low like but you're but also you're healthier i think mm-hmm. like you have a lot more energy for those fucking kids running around. <laughs> I've heard older parents say kids keep you young, and then I've heard other ones say that that's a myth. <laughs> <laughs> they grind you down. <laughs> um, to, I did find this Marginal Revolution uh, article about why Singapore has such a low birth rate. Mm-hmm. 
because we kept sort of throwing around just our guesses and I was curious. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> just to summarize and we can link this, uh, Singapore, like one, Singapore does education very well and education lowers birth rates. <laughs> Two, Singapore land and housing prices are super high, and that makes it costly to have a family, and long working hours are expected. Three, Singapore's a lot more fun than it used to be, and in this regard, it has improved more than, say, France has. Children are a bit more fun because modern life is safer, but in scare quotes, the fun of children is subject to Balmol's cost disease, which I'm guess means children aren't actually super fun <laughs> compared to like, I don't know, making lots of money in the stock market and then going on a cruise or whatever people Spending do. Spending it all on hookers and blow. And gum. I don't know. Not, not gum. <laughs> uh, four, women are doing very well in Singapore and arguably they're not so willing to marry down in terms of income and educational status. Which actually, I remember that's a problem in China as well as the uh, sort of uh, selective abortions by gender. I find it still really funny how people didn't think that that was going to ever bite them in the ass. Mm. <laughs> it almost reminds you of those, those insect things, right? Yeah. 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 The second we're allowed to to dictate ourselves the way that we control those bugs and that that uh, that experiment, you're right. It's like, oh yeah, let's just go ahead and shoot ourselves in the foot. Let's just spend thirty years lining up that shot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wait, there's more. Um, five, Singapore's generous childbearing subsidies do not work because women are still expected to shoulder so many of the responsibilities of child rearing. Mm. Six, modern fairy tales do not work. Rap music also does not work, nor do government-sponsored cruises and speed dating services. <laughs> Seven, it is suggested that population density lowers birth rates. Interesting. Hmm. Eight, that sort of makes sense, though. Like, if it's crowded... Yeah, you know, I guess. I'm, I'm not inclined to like. I do still hear people like being really upset about overpopulation, and I'm like, I think that's actually another self-correcting problem. <laughs> well, and those, those... <laughs> you don't want it to be self-corrected through disease and famine. That's you a pretty shitty but... correcting mechanism. But th those people are, I, I people are worried about overpopulation now. Are uh, to me, yeah, that's gonna say not worth listening to, but dumb is a shorthand for that. Um, in well, Singapore, or though, different values. I it, think they're like, oh no, like overpopulation is ruining the earth and you know, murdering animals and the natural world. That's some true. Some people that care about that. I, I'm, I'm anchored on the first person that articulated this, and they're like, we're already running out of space. I'm like, have you been to Nebraska? <laughs> uh, anyway, but the uh, running out of space where people want to live. Right, but um, shoot. Oh, Singapore is a small island, though, so mm -hmm. their space might actually be a restricting factor. I'm not sure how dense yeah, the population is. Yeah, I think is. they've got like. Lots of skyscrapers and post postage stamp yeah. apartments and whatnot. Yeah, Japan's small or tight, you know, uh, tight knit as fuck as or the well, people actually, per square meter. Japan has a weird thing of well. uh, having the most preserved forest land like per square mile of country, which to be fair is quite small, but to they have fair. their their sort of indigenous religion is, reveres forests, so they have like really really dense cities and then like lots of forest. That but, sounds beautiful. It is cool. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, oh yeah, eight. This is the last one. And then uh, childcare and subsidized childcare have become less common in Singapore than in France. I guess they just keep comparing it to France. Though uh, apparently Singapore knows about all of this and is trying to change it. So, but if you're gonna have kids just to ship them off to childcare all day anyway, what's the point? Kind of. To, to boost the average IQ of the country, if that's what your concern is, right? I mean, but that's not anyone's individual concern. So you want good lives for them and their one child, maybe if they have one. That's why people. That's, that's why this is a problem. Well, that's also why, like, I'm wondering what the proposed solution here is. Like, who is this essay for? Oh, or is um, it, or is it just, to, is it just to raise the alarm? Okay, yeah. yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off, Chase. I was just getting. Oh, I was just, when you were saying why, like, people would have kids just to ship them off to nannies or whatever. Like, it actually seems like most people just have sort of a innate drive 
like they feel unfulfilled without children. It's a societal expectation. You know, they've got like the parents saying like, where's the grandkids? And, uh, well, I mean, this is all I have on IQ Shredder right now. Like be great. If smart people had more kids, um, hopefully we can avoid this with technology. Maybe just make people immortal soon. Yeah. Sort of like when I think about the big scary problems facing humanity, I'm just sort of like, but also if you're smart, maybe think about having children because it would do everyone else some good. You can be one of the ones that helps upload everybody, and then we can just all reproduce by splitting. Hell yeah, we cannot find, get to that technology if we're all too dumb to make that technology. But we just need one person. Yeah, we right? need to get lucky with that one person, and the more super smart people we have, the better. So, start boinking, guys! Alright, the, the moral of this week's episode is get out there and, and boink. Have, unprotected, have as much unprotected, unprotected sex as possible. Unlike the three of us. and Because we lead by example. Oh, don't move to Singapore. If you're smart and hardworking. I mean, that one too, but like, who wants to stay living in rural... T- I mean, I'm sure there's some people, but for the most part, if you're really smart and driven, <laughs> do you really want to stay in the l- rural nowhere town where you can't have a future? Well, Happy City is maybe a good answer to that. Yeah, I mean, the other thing too is, I, I don't think there's necessarily a bad thing with living outside the city. I guess I'm thinking too, with a lot of work becoming remote, um, you can get paid San Diego living wages and living in bumfuck kansas <laughs> yeah live in bumblefuck work remotely in singapore maybe maybe that's what's gonna help fix this all in the end moving to remote work where people can live in cheaper places and have more room and decide to have some kids if i if i can buy a five-bedroom house for like thirty-five thousand dollars in wichita but still be making san diego money what's what's stopping me other than the fact that i have to live in wichita but you know I mean, somebody somebody will be willing to make that trade-off that's one of the reasons a lot of people do move to big cities like like i said they're a lot more fun there's a lot more to do you there, i bet there's no goth clubs in a thousand person village but if you're making uh every year 5x what your house is worth you can just start your own goth club you, yes you can start your own <laughs> goth club but you need a lot of people to come to the goth club for it to be fun and mm. you're Foundry not gonna effects. find many goths in a thousand person village hmm well, fingers crossed that we just, you know, get to insert singularity solution here and before this all becomes a problem, you know? That, that's my that's my final thought. Clearly my mind is wrung out on this. <laughs> we are all done. We should wrap up. We should. Oh, we should we thank a patron, though? We should definitely thank a patron. And, Never too wrung out for that. Uh, oh, yeah. A thing I wanted to say about uh, patrons is that um, we were talking earlier about uh, reproducing and also, like, how reproducing <laughs> memes is maybe as important, like... You talk about this IQ shredder, and I guess you need IQ people high enough IQ to absorb some of these memes. But the memes themselves are a big deal, right? They they keep the culture going. Um, one of the things that I've always really been proud of uh, with our community is that the average podcast has a listener support rate of between half a percent and one percent. Uh, our we don't have a huge audience, but our audience is seems to be pretty dedicated to to the mimetic fitness of their ideas or whatever, because we have more than 3% of the people that listen to us supporting the podcast. So more than triple the average rate for, for the average normie out there. And I've always been kind of proud of that. That's pretty awesome. I didn't know that figure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, who's the standout person today? The standout person today is once again, Wukasz Stefaniak, who uh, I wanted to say his name because it is Polish and I know basically how to pronounce it. Uh, although admittedly with a very heavy English accent. Uh, we have a note here. Apparently, uh, Wukash has been a supporter for three years or more and has given... Is this, this, this the right number? Yeah, I don't know if this is... Holy crap. Uh, is the decimal point in the right place? Well, yeah. no, no I, I guess I was just saying I 
didn't like ask if they wanted us to read this number. I just put that so that we would know. Dude, we we got to give props. Yeah, uh, so they they needed special something from us. I mentioned messaged on you know Patreon saying what can we do, but hmm. nobody ever nobody ever takes us up on that. Over nine hundred dollars in lifetime support from Mukash. And that was whenever I put that line on there. It's probably more. So um, that's insane. That uh, is yeah. It's mind blowing. We are I'm, flattered. We uh, we are honored. We are glad that you find us. You know consistently valuable over all this much time to to keep supporting us and helping keeping this thing going i really like our you know fandom that's a weird thing to say mm-hmm. i guess our audience let's Listener say that, that that feels less celebrity ish yeah like why haven't we been canceled yet we're Cause... making episodes like encouraging high iq people to reproduce <laughs> it's not that cancelable is it <laughs> no but it comes on the heels of you encouraging young people to have sex with old people so <laughs> <laughs> well i mean that's just self-serving <laughs> i am maximally selfish <laughs> so, uh, yeah so no, um, we've got a great community i was just thinking about that on the drive over mm-hmm. um you know, I was thinking about, you know, some of the, the emojis on the Discord, like, you know, don't feed the trolls, and um, there's just a good sense of humor, and uh, we, we there's don't... There's, like, very little drama. Yeah, I was going to say, Almost it's not none. even... I was going to say, it's not even self-policing, because there's nothing to police. It's just people hanging out as grown-ups, and it's tight, so... You and by grown-ups, I mean in the Enochian sense, not in the... <laughs> What was that? <laughs> Encouraging the audience to all reproduce with one another. <laughs> Come on, cancel us. I mean, that's, that's not a bad idea. We should have a big Bayesian conspiracy orgy world. <laughs> Sorry, I'm busy that weekend. Um, yeah, and I, I was going to say that they, they all are hanging out like, like grown-ups, and I mean that in the Brodskian sense, or whoever book you wrote, but I'm attributing it to you. Okay. Um, rather than the age sense. I mean, we've got young people, uh, but they're mature. They're... they're uh, they're young adults, right? They're not they're not adult children. Right, yeah. yeah. Alright, well I'm clearly feeling very articulate. Anyways, thank you all for that. Thank you specifically, Wukash. Again, this this is great. We are we are happy to have this going. And I guess we'll see y'all in two weeks. Goodbye everybody. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>